0: Alright, the NFL season is back, and that means it's fantasy football time to so dominate your league by subscribing to the number one fantasy football podcast on the planet, and the winner of iHeartRadio's best sports podcast, the Fantasy Footballers Podcast. Get the most accurate rankings as measured by Fantasy Pros and the most entertaining show in Fantasy Football Daily.
1: Tell them what they need to do, Bruce. Well, all you got to do is subscribe right now to the fantasy footballers podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts like this one right here. And you can also visit them on the web at the dot Subscribe now and dominate your fantasy football league.
0: It's the fantasy footballers podcast. Welcome to something to wrestle
1: with. Birds, Who's creatures. Well, you know, that's not a rib. She put it. She pooted. it. Oh, yeah, There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor, innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. And in, in, in. was he there? I was there. Like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. You, Bruce. I love
2: you. Give me double cheeseburger. Take double cheese. Hey,
0: it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something
2: to Wrestle
1: With. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? It's a warm, hot day in Texas, my God, and I'm loving it since I'm here in God's country.
0: Wait a minute. You're in your home studio? You're in you're in Friendswood, Texas?
1: I am. Right here sitting in my big old nice dark chocolate brown leather chair. And uh I mean, you know what, Conrad? Full disclosure. I'm in boxers today. I'm in boxers and a black scorpion uh, t-shirt. Not the black scorpion you think of, but the black scorpion of uh, House of the Weird in Austin, Texas, who's a big listener to our show.
0: I remember you going to that show, and I'm glad that you're back in your uniform. I I assume somewhere nearby there's a pair of slides and and, uh, maybe some ankle-length socks in your future?
1: No, no, man. When I get home, the the socks do not go on the feet.
0: Oh, it's a new day.
1: city, baby. There you go. Nothing wrong with that. However, I want you to to go back and and picture this when I would always come to Huntsville and we would finish up a day of work and time to go upstairs and get comfortable. You'd go to your room and I'd go upstairs to the Pritchard uh, wing of the Conradison and I'd change in and I would come down and you would look at me and you would say, I look like Kevin Owens' dad.
0: It's true. I'm going to post a picture on Twitter of you in my living room. You got your basketball shorts on, your I used to be overt uh, shirt on, some ankle-length socks, and like the worst journeys in the mall slides ever. It's like the most mismatched Bruce Pritchard outfit ever, which is also the way you used to fly back before you were a corporate shill. And these days, of course, I don't even think anybody sees you in a commercial airport. And if they do, you're suited and
1: booted, baby. Well, you know.
0: And that's where we are. I have, how, how about, this is where we are now. This past Monday, we dropped a little surprise bonus episode on the world, including yourself. Reminiscing about the story that is something to wrestle and all the great interpersonal relationships we've developed. Did you get a chance to uh, see any of the feedback about our
1: anniversary episode? Jeez, how could I not? It ate up my uh, whole timeline on Twitter and... If it wasn't humbling before, it was even more humbling after reading all of that coming back. Because you forget. My God, it's been a hell of a ride for three years. And when you think of all the things that we've talked about and said and done and just the goofy shit over the years. And when we tickle ourselves, like our conversation before we started recording today, where we both were laughing our ass off. It just, you forget. And it's nice to go back. And again, I reiterate none of it, none of it uh, would absolutely be possible without the people that listen to us. So again, I say thank you because, hey, you and I could be uh, either the shittiest or the greatest in the world, and it wouldn't matter if nobody listened.
0: That's exactly right. And uh, we're glad that you guys are listening, and we're glad that you guys are tuning in this week for a brand new episode, something that's been requested for a long, long time. And we're finally here today. Is the exact 20-year anniversary of Chris Jericho debuting for the WWF. And uh we have been, you know, requested and 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 tweeted at and Facebooked and Instagram. When are you talking Chris Jericho? When are you talking Chris Jericho? And even back in 2017, I sort of eyeballed this date and you laughed thinking, right, Connor, I don't know I'm even gonna live that long. We we should do Jericho before, but I'm glad we saved it to today, the 20-year anniversary of one of the very best. A, a, a bona fide Hall of Famer. So let's start at the beginning, I guess. When do you remember first seeing Chris? You probably saw tape on him, heard about him from Jim Cornette, something like that before you actually met him, right?
2: God damn.
1: That is exactly the first way that I was introduced to Chris Jericho. Uh, Cornette had Smoky Mountain Wrestling in Tennessee, Kentucky, wherever the hell it was. And. My brother Tom was there working as the Heavenly Bodies with Jimmy Del Rey, and he might have been with Stan, uh, Stan Lane at the time, matter of fact. But they had the Thrill Seekers come in. It was a team that consisted of Lance Storm and Chris Jericho. Didn't know either one of them. Never heard of either one of the guys, so Corny had put them together. They were going to be his 1990 version of the Rock and Roll Express.
2: Goddamn, they're gonna set this place on fire. They're Canadians. They're fucking great. Gotta see them. Goddamn, I got I got fucking Ricky Morton, this goddamn Jericho guy, and uh, I'll get Robert who doesn't have as much personality out of fucking Last Storm.
1: So that was that was Corny's vision, and that was the first time that I saw him. But the first time that I really took notice of Jericho was getting a phone call from my brother one time, going. Yeah, I we're working with these fucking thrill seekers. And the one fucking guy that going over shit in the ring before the, before the show. And he broke his arm. Oh, and that was Jericho. Right. So
0: this is one of smoky mountains, biggest shows ever. Perhaps their biggest show today at that point, if I remember. Right. right.
1: Exactly. And it was a huge show and, and Jericho's out there fucking around. And I heard it both from Cornette and Tom and uh, he's like, goes, motherfucker broke his fucking arm.
2: Goddamn, motherfucker broke
1: his fucking arm. And but to Jericho's credit, he went, and got it casted it up, and still worked that night. So a lot of guys, man, if they had a hangnail, they they may not have gone. But it was that was the first time I really took notice of Jericho and going, what the fuck. But the business was changing, you know, because the the old dogs. Man, you didn't get in the ring and go over things ever. The ring was meant for wrestling. That's what you did when you got in. By God, you wrestled. I guess we Man, should mention that fly bullshit.
0: That Jericho was definitely working a different style. He had wrestled in Japan and uh, done the J Cup, and he had wrestled in Mexico, and he had been on the when worlds collide pay per view. And even though Bischoff didn't see him wrestle there, he had heard about him enough from. You know, the Eddie Guerrero's and Dean Malenko's and Chris Benoit's. He had been to ECW and that's probably when most American fans saw him for the first time. And he gets the big break with WCW. And even though Bischoff misses the match there, you know, the, the testimony of all these other performers that he had seen is enough for him to get a deal. He winds up coming in in 1996 and then wrapping up here in 1999. He probably came into his own in 1998 when, uh, he, Uh, sort of changed from the white meat baby face that was maybe a nondescript white meat baby face number 417 and now he's going to really do his sort of his own thing and i think we've we've talked about it a little bit here on the show where he would have the jericho personal security and he's wearing a top knot and mispronouncing guys names it's my absolute favorite jericho he even comes up with monday night jericho as an airbrush t-shirt which of course wcw winds up making into an actual shirt so he really grew as a performer in that 1998 time frame. So come 99, uh it's maybe time for him to realize his dream and he grew up a WWF fan and was such a fan that when he came to um or when when you guys came to uh, town to do the Canadian Stampede pay-per-view in July of 97, he stopped by. And we briefly mentioned that on our Canadian Stampede show, but uh what did you think of, of Chris? Had you seen much of his work when he stopped by Canadian stampede in July of 97,
1: well, I, I, actually was, but I, I got to go back. Cause you mentioned Eddie Guerrero and Chris Jericho and share a story that Jericho stole, uh, stole that Jericho told at Eddie's uh, funeral. And Jericho talked about the first time that he met Eddie Guerrero in Mexico. Now, those that, that know Eddie and have heard things about Eddie Guerrero, Eddie could be a grumpy son of a bitch sometimes, and he he could be, if if he didn't like you, it would he could be just kind of well, just just grumpy, I guess is the best way to say it. And um, Jericho's there, and he's he's Canadian. He's been watching Eddie Guerrero and thinking that, uh, holy shit, man, this is. This is Eddie Guerrero, you know, and, and he knew some of the other guys and all this shit. And this is his first opportunity to meet Eddie Guerrero, and he comes over, and Eddie's sitting there, and and um, he goes over to say hello to him, and Eddie looks at him and goes, yeah, what's your name, man?" And Jericho says, um, "Corazón de León," which was his working name, which translates to Lionheart, and Eddie drops his fork in mid. Mid-eat, he's ready to eat, drops his forehead. He goes, not your working name, you fucking mark, man. Get the fuck away from me, man. I don't give a fuck what your name is. Fuck you. <laughs> and sent, sent Jericho on his way. And uh, what what made it especially fun was Jericho was, was doing this with children in the audience and just people. But it was the perfect, for those that know Eddie, it was the perfect Eddie Guerrero story. And then talking about Eddie ordering in, like Denny's at three o'clock in the morning and wrestlers have this thing of talking with their hands that whenever you want, like men, mean, uh, I just want like a small chicken breast and you have to, you have to show them with your hands, how big you want it to be
0: yes, and, and how you want the eggs stirred up. You do this yeah. too. I don't know that you know that you do this, but you do that too. So. <laughs> I just know somewhere we went somewhere once and you were like, now I don't want it with the sauce. And then you start put. you're pretending that you're in the kitchen, putting all the ingredients in the bowl. And then you're stirring. And I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? He's doing a goddamn cooking show. Just say, I want a number seven, no sauce. And you're like, well, yeah, you could do that too, I guess.
1: Well, this was more visual. It helps him. It gives him a visual to know exactly like how big your chicken breast should be. And no pickles. You got to you got to do the international no no signal for no pickles. I mean, okay, but, but I just always love the thing introducing him with his working name, Corazon de Leon. You fucking mark. But uh, no, man, I I I had actually seen Chris. I'd seen some of Chris's Japanese uh, stuff, and I'd seen some of Chris's stuff in Mexico. And when he went to smoky mountain, I was familiar with those other guys and I knew who he was. So it was, uh, looking, looking at Jericho, you would think a lot of people would compare him to Shawn Michaels, which is what I did and thought that, Hey, on down the line, you know, here's somebody that, that will be somebody someday.
0: Well, and he was, and he bumps into, uh, a lot of the guys, including Vince McMahon himself at Canadian stampede. And, uh, Chris would write, he was the most intimidating individual I'd ever met. This was the man who had engineered the entire wrestling boom. And I was standing before him. How do you like my town? I asked, continuing the tradition of saying stupid things upon first meetings. He looked at me sternly and said, I like it just fine and turned away. The man I dreamed of working for my whole life had just jobbed me out. But I had enough of a taste to know without a doubt the WWF was where I wanted to be. And I placed one more call to Russo, and he reiterated to call him as soon as I was legally able. Only two more years to go. Now, he would have another sort of chance meeting. In March of '98, also would report that Benoit, Jericho, and Malenko all bumped into Vince McMahon, Shawn Michaels, and Steve Austin, a handful of others. On March 3rd at a hotel near the Pittsburgh airport when the WWF was in Wheeling, West Virginia and WCW had been in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Chat me up here. What do you remember about, uh, this chance meeting at the airport here, the, the airport hotel?
1: Well, I mean, going back to the Calgary stampede, Canadian stampede, whatever the hell it was. I remember walking down a hallway and Chris was coming down a set of steps by himself and introducing myself and saying hello and telling him that I was a big fan. I said, "Look, I'm I'm not talking to you now, but uh nothing wrong with giving you my card and saying to you when you're available, give us a call." Big fans. And then you fast forward, uh I don't think that I know Vince was in the hotel, but Vince never went down to the bar that night in in Pittsburgh. It was kind of one of those anticipated meetings where everybody from both sides, we all stayed at the same Holiday Inn near the Pittsburgh airport. So it was just kind of a given that we would all get together that night. It was like a homecoming, just everybody saying hello. It's the same night that I had the meeting with Chris Benoit uh, in the bathroom about, you know, possibly coming in and Chris telling me how miserable he was. So that was the same, same night. And I remember seeing Jericho there that night as well. Small world, man.
0: Well, uh, Chris mentioned Russo here because he said that, you know, he kept in some sort of regular semi-regular communication with Russo and in 98 Russo sets it up for Vince McMahon and Chris Jericho to meet. So Chris is going to fly to Stanford and meet Vince McMahon and we told the story on Jericho's podcast, but he goes to the airport, picks up his ticket to LaGuardia. It's not first class, and he lands and McMahon's limo driver's there waiting for him, and it has Robinson written on a placard, and that's the secret code name that Russo said that they were gonna use to sort of not tip off any fans. And he's very meticulous in writing and telling this story. Jericho is saying, I chose my clothes carefully, knowing Vince's propensity for big guys. I wore a tight black shirt that showed off my arms and a pair of hiking boots that made me taller. Before I rang the doorbell, I did a few isometrics to make the veins in my arms pop out. And Shane led me through the kitchen into a sunken living room. And I saw a big oil painting of Vince on the wall. And there was a long oak table in the center. Uh, seated at it are the inner circle of the WWF Vince Russo, Vince Russo, Ed Ferrara, uh, Jim Ross and, uh, Bruce Pritchard are all gathered around sitting at the head of the table. Like Don Corleone was Vincent Kennedy McMahon himself. And they all stopped talking and turn their heads. When I walk in a big smile spreads across Vince's face, Chris, how are you doing, pal? Thanks for coming. Once again, there wasn't a hair out of place and the clothes were immaculate, even inside the comfort of his own home. And I noticed how much of a a presence Vince had in comparison to Eric Bischoff. It was like comparing a King to a court jester. What do you take of Chris's account in his book about the first time he was in Vince's house?
1: Well, I mean, I remember it because it was during the time that he was able to negotiate and take a look at different offers out there. There was a window in his contract and we were interested, you know, we wanted to do something with Chris Jericho. So it was time to actually have that that one-on-one where you could actually discuss things and I had known Chris and Russo had been talking to him for a while throughout that and it's you know there there, there are always different different ways to find out you know who's doing what without ever officially you know so there's no contract tampering involved but it's nothing Nothing wrong with somebody asking, hey, when's your contract up? And uh, if you ever would like to talk to us, here we are. Right. So there's always those things in the back of your head. And I just remember, finally, it was time. And there was a little trepidation on our part because Chris wasn't the biggest guy in the world. And Chris would have to get over on his personality and be able to sell that to Vince and show that, Hey, I can talk, I can go, I can go in the ring. I may not be the biggest guy, but I could be the biggest personality in the room. And that was important. So it was important for this to be a good impression for Chris.
0: All right, Bruce, let's run a timeout right now and tell all of our friends. Well, about something that you and I know a lot about cheers. See cheers is designed to reduce the negative effects of alcohol and it works. And you know, this better than most Bruce, because after you've been on one of these 27 hour booking meetings, it might be time to have a cocktail or two. And well, cheers works like an antacid for alcohol cheers, restore neutralizes alcohols, negative effects. So you wake up feeling great and you're ready to go straight to the booking meeting. So whether you drink a little, or if you're like Brucey and you drink a lot, Take cheers after a night out and you'll feel at least 50% better the next morning. Now that sounds too good to be true, but it's legit. It's worked for me. It's worked for Bruce. Everybody loves cheers. So take cheers every time you drink because even moderate responsible drinking can leave you feeling less than hundred percent with just two to four capsules before going to bed. You'll feel better in the morning. Guaranteed no more headaches, no more nausea, no more sluggishness, and it's healthier for your liver. And Bruce, I think Dusty has a special offer for our listeners, right? Listen,
1: baby, every once in a while, i like to have a few beers here and there. Maybe maybe a bottle of wine or two and get a little funky like a monkey. so for a limited time, you can try out Cheers Restore for F-R-E-E free, baby. That's right, free. Simply go to TakeCheers.com slash wrestle. Just take the 30 second quiz, pay $1, only $1 for shipping and handling, and your full dose sample bottle will be on its way along with a free gift. That's takecheers.com. That's T A K
2: E C H E E R S.com
1: forward slash wrestle to get your first four doses of cheers restored for just one. Dollar. that's right cheers it's the
2: best thing to happen to alcohol since alcohol babies.
0: so of course the meeting goes well uh, they have a private talk and go for a walk and um, they come back and the housekeeper brings over a plate of brownies and it's sort of a surreal experience for Jericho and of course he doesn't resign with WCW and he says the WWF offer is three years at 450 grand a year with an intricate system based on bonuses, you know, which is going to be reflected by the attendance and pay-per-view buys. Meanwhile, when Eric finds out that he's talking to you guys, uh, Chris starts to see offers from WCW where they're even reaching the magical seven figure threshold, but he says he would have worked for the WBF. Even if it was for half the money, he knew that that's where he wanted to be. And when he actually did make the decision and go ahead and sign the contract. They announced it on the website uh, a month before the contract was up in WCW. And I don't think that that's something that happened very often back then because, especially when you consider the way you're going to debut him, is this more of a testament to the Monday Night War and the competition between WBF and WCW that you just can't wait to, ha-ha, we got another one, put it on the website?
1: No, it was more of a experiment of sharing information and the instant gratification with information that was going on at the time with that thing called the internet so a lot of it was new wwf.com was new and there was thought of look the other dirt sheets would probably have it out there why not beat them to the punch and have our website that have that be the main source of information for our audience instead of going out and finding it elsewhere. So it it runs that happy medium of it's going to get released anyway, anyway, we might as well release it ourselves.
0: All right. We need to run a timeout right now to let everybody know that this episode is brought to you by the grounds guys, a neighborly company. The grounds guys is looking for new owners to join their growing company. Could this be the perfect opportunity for you? Are you driven? Do you have the heartbeat of an entrepreneur? Do you love to be outdoors? If you're currently running your own landscape business or you think a landscape franchise could be your natural calling, text GG BizOp to 87000 right now to learn more. Choosing to start your business with the ground guys, means setting yourself up for success by surrounding yourself with the best in business and the best at business. With the Grounds Guys, you'll be your own boss, pick your own territory, set your own hours, and live a better quality of life. Running a business that you can be proud of, you'll have access to the best resources to help you scale your landscape business to meet your personal and professional goals. And you will go home every day with the satisfaction of helping your customers enhance and maintain the beauty of their outdoor spaces. As a Grounds Guys owner, you'll also be a part of the greater neighborly community of home service brands. Neighborly has empowered more than 3,700 entrepreneurs to achieve their dreams and goals through local business ownership. No one knows the home service industry better than Neighborly. Every year, nearly 1 million customers are proud to be served by one of Neighborly's 22 award-winning brands. Some of which include Mosquito Joe, Holly made glass doctor and Mr. Rooter. whether you've been thinking about starting your own business, or you're already running your own landscape company, text GG GGBIZOP to 8700 to learn more about how a Grounds Guys franchise can help you get where you want to go faster than going it alone. One more time, text GGBIZOPP to 8700 to learn more about the neighborly brands that may be available in your area, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Well, he's constantly making calls to Russo, pitching ideas. What about this for my debut? What about this for my character? What about a feud like this? And eventually he finds himself at the post office dropping off some mail and he sees a clock on the wall counting backwards. And underneath the clock, it says countdown to the new millennium. So to keep you sort of caught up here, it's six months prior to the year 2000 and the clock is keeping track of the time. So... You know, we're tracking new year's Eve. So like 176 days, 17 hours, eight minutes, 12 seconds, 11 seconds. And he thought, man, that'd be a cool way for somebody to debut in the WWF. Well, why not me? So he calls Vince Russo and, and pitches the idea of running vignettes with like a countdown clock for a debut, his debut in the company. And Russo calls him the next day and says, not only did Vince love the idea, but he's going to calibrate the clock to start a month before the debut. And it's going to hit zero at the exact moment of his first appearance, which was 20 years ago today, August 9th, 1999. When did you first hear about this idea? Cause it is a pretty cool idea, especially at the time.
1: I thought it was ingenious and it was a big way making a big splash. And this is how, how much you live inside the bubble sometimes. And and here's the year 2000 is coming up and everyone is talking about what's going to happen to all the computers, to all the clocks, to all the mainframes all over the world when they've all been set for 1999. And, and when they reach, when it all zeros out at 2000, everything's going to stop. Working planes are going to fall out of the air. It's going to be this major catastrophic event. Y two K. You know, this is this is just going to be a disaster. So there was a lot of fear in the country and the all over the world as to what's going to happen. And now we've got this countdown clock, and it's not to the end of the year. It's, man, it's going to be in august and everybody's wondering what the what the hell is this going to be but again as i was getting the point i was making is is i had to actually just search to figure out what that term was because to me it's always been y2j because it was ingrained in my head so much
0: my gosh
1: that i forgot what white what the other one was that Y two K I, I think that, you know, again, wrestling fans would probably, they probably still, if you were to ask them, what was that thing called at the end of, uh, 1999, that they were all afraid of y oh, Y two J. Yep,
2: yeah, That's a Y two J. He was going to get in there and fuck up all them computers. I know he was, can't trust them People that long
0: hair. So Chris, uh, goes to the WBF offices about a month prior to the debut and he's there in Stanford, Connecticut, and he meets with Jim Johnston, who I think most people listening to this know, wrote a lot of the superstar theme songs, and he's having a conversation with Jim about who he was and what his character's attitude was. And he's trying to get sort of a vibe of the way the music should sound. And then he meets with Kevin Dunn and they're talking about maybe what the entrance video looks like. And he plans to use a double blast of pyro to give the arrival extra impact. And he's going to take some promo shots and go meet with the merchandise folks. And he says, it feels like he stepped into Oz because now, you know, this is a much bigger machine and it's working much differently than the way WCW had. And, uh, when he finally sits down with Vince McMahon in Vince's office, he throws him a script out of his desk for the movie toxic Avenger number four where he says there is a part written specifically for him. And he says something like you've been here for a day and you're already a movie star. And, uh, then he hits him with the big bombshell. The idea is to have this countdown to the new millennium clock reach zero right in the middle of a promo by the rock. And that means obviously there are big plans for Jericho. Chat me up about why him debuting in the middle of a rock promo Was the right call.
1: If you're going to make a splash and you're going to make a first impression, you might as well make the biggest one that you possibly could. And rock was the biggest star in the company at the time. In addition to that, the rocks promos were probably the most entertaining at the time. So if you're going to interrupt anybody and you're going to come out and state your case, you might as well do it with the biggest audience and the biggest star biggest platform that you possibly can.
0: Well, that was going to happen for sure. Um, he says that you guys are talking about sort of finishing maneuvers and you told him that he should use a submission move, but Vince didn't want him to do that because he saw him as more of a, an explosive finishing maneuver guy where he would use a, a pinning combination. And he wants to call the finish the Y2J problem, obviously you know, sort of tongue in cheek, referencing the Y2K problem. And he's told straight away, that's not going to be the name of your finish. The Y2J problem. No, just Y2J. And so Y2J becomes the thing. Why did you think maybe Jericho was a submission guy?
1: Just because yeah, I didn't necessarily, but I knew that he had used the lion tamer previously. In his career, I thought, well, you know what? You may not be able to come up with a finish you can give to everybody. And that's really important when you look at your debuting, you're coming in, and you have this spectacular finish. But is it something that you can do on the big show? Is it something you can do on The Undertaker's? Is it something you can do with Rey Mysterio? So when you run through the whole gambit of the... Roster, you want to have something that is going to make sense with everybody that you feel, if I get that on them, I can beat them. And if it's a, a pop-up, hurricanrana, double enchilada, no cheese, then it, it fucking means nothing if you can't do it to The Undertaker or Big Show. So a submission like The Walls of Jericho or something like that, he could he could do to everybody. And that's why I thought of you know I think it would be better if he had a submission hold.
0: We should mention that um, the debut is going to happen here at the Allstate Arena in Chicago, one of the more famed WWE arenas, especially in this era. And he's got a pair of Harley Davidson leather pants on and a silver rave shirt, and uh, he's got a top knot and the Billy Goat beard that he's grown out special for this occasion. And he bumps into Vince getting coffee. And as Vince sort of looks him up and down, he says, it's cheap heat, Vince. And Vince says, indeed, with a weird look on his face and struts away. And he goes over his promo with Russo and he doesn't have any major concerns. The rock joins them and they're rehearsing the whole thing once in catering. And that's it. They both have done this before. So you don't need much more preparation than that. Do you remember meeting with. Jericho or working with him at all that day on the, on the debut?
1: Not anything more than saying hello, wishing him luck and telling him when to go out. Um, the, the creative that was all done with Russo and him and rock. And it was one of those moments that the audience was waiting for because they all knew there was anticipation. Is it going to be Jericho? Is it going to be somebody else? It was still during that time that big moves meant something. And this was a big move. This was a major acquisition that had been with the competition before, and we wanted it to be a big splash. But I think that when they had the, the video wall up and the whole animation getting there with the ball rolling down and uh, that big reveal of Y2J, and they knew exactly exactly who that was and, and, we're happy, you know, you saw the Jericho and all that shit and it just, it was good stuff.
0: All right, Bruce, let's run another time out right now. And this time, this is a fun one here because let's say you forget to pick up wine on the way out with your friends, or maybe you've got a breakfast burrito craving, you just can't kick. I've been there post made it. Postmates is your personal food delivery, grocery delivery, whatever kind of delivery service all year round. No more trips to the store for you. My friend, anything you're craving. Postmates can deliver within the hour about this 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. They're the largest on-demand network in the U S and offer delivery from all the restaurants, all the grocery stores, all the convenience stores and all the traditional retailers you could ever possibly need. Simply download the app for iOS or Android for free and browse the local restaurants and businesses and track your delivery in real time. And I got to tell you, I used this for the first time a few years ago with my wife when we were out of town and it changed my life. This is the fucking coolest thing ever. There's lots of other food delivery services, but that's all they do. Or there's grocery delivery services, but that's all they do. Dude, Postmates does it all. And for a limited time, Postmates has a special offer for our listeners. Tell them all about it, Jimmy.
2: Motherfucker. Every once in a while, sometimes i get to a town and I want a cheeseburger. Double cheese, double onion, extra mayo, motherfucker. I just called Postmates. And right now, for a limited time, Postmates is going to give our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. That's right. All you gotta do to start your free deliveries, download the app, use our code WRESTLE. That's WRESTLE. W-R-E-S-T-L-E for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. Download Postmates and save With our code WRESTLE. Motherfucker.
0: It was good stuff. And uh, what a big way to debut right there with The Rock in the middle of the ring. And, of course, Jericho's going to come out to a huge ovation and start doing his promo. And remember, he's interrupting The Rock. And uh, The Rock asks him what his name is. And then of course he says, I told you it's in the rock pops off. It doesn't matter what your name is. A lot of people would look at that and say, boy, the rocks really owning him here. This is not the right way you debut a guy. And it's been debated a lot that maybe, uh, obviously I know you're taking, this is going to be different, but a lot of people would say, man, if you're just going to have him come out in the rock, clown him and say, it doesn't matter what his name is, that's not how you get a guy over. But I have a feeling you're going to have a different
1: take on that. Oh, yeah. It's totally killed Austin and Mick Foley <laughs> and everybody else that he ever worked with. Yeah, it's just terrible. That's just the worst. Well, I mean, I would, he, he should have just come out and pinned the rock the first night and, and then beat everybody in the company the, 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 on the very same night. We should have had a gauntlet of every single guy on the roster and beat him one, two, three in the middle of the ring that night and take every belt and put it on him and never have him lose another match. Is this
0: right now I'm not sure am I, am I talking to Bob Holly right now?
1: I'm I'm just saying what apparently everybody thinks that we should have done is we shouldn't have put him in the ring with the biggest goddamn star in the company at the time and have him banter back and forth and have more eyeballs on him than he ever did working with Hoovy, some guy named Hoovitude, uh years before. I love that you remember the Hoovitude shout out. Oh yeah. Uh,
0: what's the feeling, you know, after the segment, it's a, it's a 6.53 rating in this segment and, uh, he comes back through the curtain, you know, what's the, what's Vince's reaction. A lot of people come back through the curtain and they're looking for a nod from the chairman.
1: Do you think Vince was pleased? Yeah, I think he was, uh, for me, uh, I was extremely pleased. I thought that he was able to hold his own and was right there. There were a few missteps where he was tickled by some of the shit that rock was saying, and you can catch him laughing and some of that stuff. But at the same time, some guys get flustered in that position and Chris didn't miss a beat. He was able to hold his own and, and hang in there with the rock. And that's what it was. That's what it was meant for. He was either going to sink or swim right off the top. And he swam.
0: Not long after his debut, he's paired with Howard Finkel, who's sort of picking up where. Chris left off with WCW with Ralphus. And it's really the first time we see Fink involved in a storyline like this, uh, other than briefly years prior with Harvey Whippleman. Where does this idea come from? Hey, let's pair Fink and Jericho.
1: I think that Jericho kind of was missing Ralphus somewhat, and Chris wanted someone to play off of to be able to. Be that that bully rock star, the the guy that thinks he's much bigger and better than he actually is. So he was looking for someone to be the the patsy. As we were looking around, obviously Ralphus was, uh, I believe he was on the ring crew with WCW. Um, Ralphus wasn't available, so while looking around and seeing who could play that part, Howard Finkel walked by. And hello, Chris, how are you, sir? Good to meet you. And everybody kind of looked at each other and went, what about Howard? So Howard was, Howard was nominated. It didn't last long. Cause I don't think that, that, um, people wanted to see Howard in that role. If that makes any sense.
0: He makes his pay-per-view debut at SummerSlam a few weeks later. He doesn't have a match, but he has a verbal confrontation with Road Dogg, and that sets up Chris's first feud in the company. Why is Road Dogg the right guy for a first opponent? And why not after this debut with The Rock, why not do something
1: there? Well, I think that by the time that we got there with Dog, Dog was a... He was a babyface, and it was just somebody that people knew, and it was easy, so... you. You're not going to have that confusion as to, should I cheer Jericho? Should I boo him? It was clear. You should boo him because he was up against the baby faces, baby face and in road dog at the time. So it was just a way to get Jericho out there and get him started.
0: His, uh, in ring debut happens at a house show and it's in his hometown of Winnipeg rock can't make the show. So Chris takes his spot and pins the big boss man and. On the first SmackDown on August 26th, he wrestles Road Dog and loses by DQ after power bombing him through a table. So, of course, from there, he starts to feud with X-Pac and that leads to his pay-per-view debut with you guys, Unforgiven 99 in September. They go 13 minutes and 10 seconds. Uh, they only get a star and a half here, uh, and X-Pac beats him. What do you think of this? This is another one of those WCW debuts where I know you're going to get fired up about this. We're having the guy lose his first big match.
1: Yeah, sure. That's exactly why. Cause we hated his guts and we didn't want to do anything with him. We just wanted to pay him a lot of money and kill him. It's a story and, it, and it, it's again, it's the longer term story. And the whole thing in this was about telling a story. Throughout It also, you know, a debut of Curtis Hughes and trying to give Chris that extra edge. And you look at Howard Finkel and Howard wasn't working as a lackey. Maybe Chris needed a heater and Curtis Hughes had gotten in great shape. And the funny thing about it was, was I think when we were talking about Curtis Hughes coming in with Jericho, in our mind, it was the old Mr. Hughes. You know, big, nasty, mean, and Curtis comes back and he's all ripped up. He's in tremendous shape, looking better than he ever had in his career, but not as impressive. And I think that he had missed or lost a lot of the edge that Curtis Hughes used to have. And then we, we dressed him up to be more Jericho like in the silver shirt and kind of bodyguard stuff instead of the suit and tie. And there's just wasn't a whole lot of chemistry there either. So we're trying some different things with Chris to dress him up and, and do some different things.
0: Well, it, you know, this feels like I've asked this question a thousand different ways uh, over the years, but is this also the way that Vince tries to like test performers who are going to be, who maybe could be a top guy. He wants to see. Perhaps if they'll hang in there, if they've got the vision for it, or is it some sort of a weird test? Because I think a lot of guys probably come over and think, well, I've got this big contract and they tell me they've got these big plans. They probably expect that they're going to be given a a big push and instead, you know, they lose their first match on pay-per-view.
1: Well, again, he didn't get pinned, and he—it was a DQ. It was a schmaz finish. Uh, teeth still are fucked up, folks. So, excuse me. Um, again, it was a story. It was a, a schmaz just to get the character over. Win, lose, or draw—we're we're selling stars here, and believe it or not, wins and losses—I don't think that people count them unless you know you're going to count them and fudge them. And great, hip hip hooray for you. Um, I don't think, I think people want story and I think that people want characters that that's what we were giving them. We we're giving them story and characters and it wasn't, Oh, let's, let's go out and beat him and make sure he knows that who the boss is. That's just shitty business and not the way it is.
0: Well, let me ask this. There is another you know rumor in innuendo that back in the early to mid nineties, whenever they're sort of trying to see, Hey, can this guy hack it? They put him in there with Sean Waltman. And I do find it interesting that his first pay-per-view match is with Sean Waltman.
1: Was shopman sort of the measuring stick here for Jericho as well. It was a good guy to put him in there because they matched up size wise and style wise. You know, there was a feeling that Chris could have a hell of a match with X-Pac and, You know, it's kind of hard for X-Pac to have a bad match unless his style just completely clashes to that point. It was a way to give Chris an impressive first match and have him shine as much as he possibly could with Sean.
0: I guess we should mention after this match with X-Pac and and the, the brief little situation with road dog on SmackDown, Chris is going to begin a feud with another former DX member. No, not Sean, not Hunter, not Billy Gunn. China! She's the champion at the time, and they're going to wind up wrestling at three pay per views, and the first one takes place at Survivor Series. <sighs> China pinned Jericho to retain the Intercontinental title here in 13 minutes and 45 seconds. It gets a star. Meltzer, of course, shit on the match and said, simply put, China looked horrible and was totally exposed when trying to do an actual long singles wrestling match without the use of copious amounts of furniture to camouflage the work. Jericho worked real hard. Actually, so did China, but it was a major styles clash. Actually, that's not true because that would require China to actually have a style. It was so bad in the beginning. It actually made it good at the end. So, you know. I hear you. No, we're not trying to bury him. We're going to put him in a fucking feud with China and let China pin him.
1: Yeah. It just feels kind of, I mean, I don't know how for, we can for really- a heel, hang on, but For a heel to lose to a female grappler and you're not losing to a female grappler, you're losing to the ninth wonder of the world, China, and a huge character, larger than life character on our television show. So would it have be better to just have him be programmed with Barry Horowitz and beat Barry Horowitz every week on the Brooklyn Brawler?
0: Those are the only two options. Here's my question, I guess. Is there a scenario, hypothetically, you're trying let's say that you guys turn Roman Reigns heel. Are you gonna get him over by having Charlotte beat him? If that was a good story. Come on, you wouldn't do that. But what, but no,
1: but here's here's the thing. This was an era where China was super over and China was a huge star and it was a way to accentuate Jericho's personality for him to get his promos over and for him to be able to build upon this and kept him in the mix in a big way by working with China. So again, you know, it's, it's, you're damned if you, okay. If he had gone out and beat China, it was like, Oh, well, that was a shit. He just went out and beat a girl the first night. You can take it any way you want to take it. And this was the direction that was chosen. And I, again, it was stars. It's about making stars. Well, I I get that. It's about making
0: stars, but you never, you didn't make Austin
1: this way. You didn't make rock this way. Austin didn't win a match for the first two years. He was in the company.
0: He, He didn't lose to China.
1: I bet if he was booked with her, he would have at the time. He lost everybody else.
0: Let's talk about Armageddon because God damn it. Jericho finally gets his heat back. <laughs> he beats China for the year. Oh, that's the shit. Goddamn, The shit had China go over. He, he beat China in this fucking rematch at Armageddon 10 minutes and 17 seconds, two and a quarter stars Meltzer would say this was actually the best wrestling match on the show, which is a real credit to Jericho because China was really exposed with her bad looking offense, particularly the forearms, which she needs to retire from her repertoire. Jericho had to sell and her bouncing off the ropes, like someone in beginning wrestling school, either way though, Jericho gets the win. He's the intercontinental champion. What do you think? I mean, did you have any conversations with Jericho? Is he coming up saying guys, I I really thought I'd be doing something different here. And I mean, I'm really glad to be the intercontinental champion Uh, as a kid. I probably dreamed of this day, but I'm working with a girl.
1: I don't think Chris looked at it like that. I think that Chris was when he initially came in, maybe not feeling like the most welcome person in the world because there was an awful lot of jealousy. This was a very competitive time, you know, backstage of people wanting, you know, their spot or, you know, looking for television time. And here comes this new guy in and he's put right on top. He's put right into a program and I think that Chris, for the most part, was having a little difficulty navigating those waters of jealousy and just not uh, overwhelming. Hey, Chris, come on in. How can we help you? It was, oh, all right, motherfucker. You want to get over? Go get over.
0: Is there anybody in particular that maybe he wasn't getting along with here?
1: I don't think it was anybody in particular. I think it was an overall feeling of somebody comes in from WCW and because they're coming from there that automatically they're put into a program and put on top versus the guys that had been there for a long time. It becomes that general feeling, right? That's uh, more of a vibe that you get from people. All
0: right, Bruce, let's run another timeout. We told you about them at the top of the show. And I'm glad that we get to talk about this today because football is right around the corner. And then with the NFL season coming back, I am glued to the NFL network, keeping up with everything that's moving and shaking and uh fantasy football man that's what it's all about that's what i'm excited for and if you're ready to dominate your league well here's a little pro tip for you subscribe to the number one fantasy football podcast on the planet that's where you get all the inside scoops that's where you get the best information if you're serious about winning and dominating your fantasy football league you should go to the best and don't take my word for it these guys won iHeartRadio's radio's best sports podcast it's the fantasy footballers podcast You'll get the most accurate rankings as measured by the fantasy pros. And it is without question the most entertaining show in fantasy football. And how about this? It's daily. So tell them all about it, Macho Man. Where can they make sure they're winning? Over at the Fantasy Footballers Podcast? Oh, uh-huh, yeah. All
1: you got to do is subscribe right now over to the Fantasy Footballers Podcast. On Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you listen to podcasts, uh-huh. You can also visit them on the web at thefantasyfootballers.com. Subscribe now and dominate your fantasy football league, uh-huh. Oh, yeah!
0: Let's get to the Royal Rumble 2000. We're going to have... uh a rematch of sorts here, but we're going to add Bob Holly to the mix. And, uh, how about I beat him
2: and then for the rematch, I beat him again.
0: Meltzer would say that even though Jericho did the coolest moves in the ring, Holly was actually the best worker in there, a star and a quarter. But Jericho, uh, has the, uh, has a hand race at the end of seven minutes and 30 seconds. What'd you think of this, this three way now? Two guys and one girl.
1: I don't think you should talk about Chris like that. Oh, anyway. Um, it was okay. You know, it's (laughs) look, it it was tough enough to have to work with China because you had to work her style and you had to protect her and get her spots and get everything over. When you throw a Bob Holly into that mix it makes it even more difficult because Bob's style is a very physical style and Bob's going to work a certain way. One-on-one Bob and Jericho, I think would have great matches beating the living shit out of each other. You couldn't do that with China involved in the match because you had to make her a integral part of the match. So it was not the greatest and it was not the greatest, um, No fault of the talent. That was more of on the creative end of even booking that. I don't know that that was the best idea in the world. Of course,
0: in January of 2000, the locker room starts to look a little differently because all of a sudden, some of his very closest and best friends from professional wrestling wind up joining him here in WWF. We're talking Eddie Guerrero, Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko, and Chris Benoit. Was he involved at all in the conversations? It feels like he would have been sort of the early adopter he goes and founds this new territory and reports back to the old country oh you gotta come it's the best uh maybe he's not having that great of an experience but some of it might be chalked up to some of his buds aren't there and maybe if all these guys come over he'll be acclimated a little more behind the scenes was jericho you know pushing and prodding for these guys to make the jump do you think
1: i don't know if he was or not because it you know that was all during the time that wcw was in turmoil and benoit had just won their world championship so it was it was a weird time in general in wcw i don't know if chris behind the scenes was telling them anything um but it does help you know when you've got familiar friends around you from from as you say the old country coming coming in and and you can kind of give everybody the lay of the land and i know chris was happy to see all four guys in the wwe
0: so they make the jump and uh all of a sudden the locker room probably feels a little more friendly for him. And then there's a plot twist. Now, Chris and China are going to be paired together where she's going to start accompanying him to the ring. Who's, uh, who's pushing for that creative that comes, uh, comes at us in a time where maybe some folks didn't see that coming.
1: Well, I think that was the idea and it was an opportunity to change things up a little bit. And sometimes your best best friend is, is, is your worst enemy. So that was the thinking behind it was that China had been through these wars with Jericho and vice versa. There was a respect there. So let's try this as a pair and see how it works out.
0: Well, of course, next up, we're going to have a feud with Chris Jericho and the European champion, Kurt angle. Kurt is also very new in the company. He made his debut at survivor series 99. Of course we know they go on to be two of the biggest stars in the history of the company. But they start wrestling here at No Way Out two thousand for the Intercontinental title. And Angle winds up getting the win. Ten minutes and fourteen seconds in. Pretty good match. Three stars or so. Uh, but just as fast as he was the Intercontinental Champion. Now Kurt Angle is. Let's get to WrestleMania two thousand or sixteen. He's still involved in the Intercontinental title picture. And uh this is gonna be a fun match here where we've got Jericho as the European champion and Chris Benoit as the intercontinental champion at the end of this three-way, you, you know, Kurt angle comes into this, the double champ, and you've got one match with three of the absolute all time greats, Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho and Kurt angle who booked this, whose idea was it? Cause it does feel like the WBF at different times has played hokey pokey with these three-way and multi-man matches. But here in this era, it feels like they're pretty popular, but you got to think uh, the pair of the, of any combination of these three guys may have resulted in a better match. Who's pushing for the three way. Is this a Russo thing? He likes the story. Russo was gone by this, this point. No, I, I mean, I mean the original concept of three ways when they became more popular. I don't mean this match in particular in 2000. Of course we know he's in WCW at that point.
1: Oh, God, you know, I don't know. I remember the, the very first three-way match that we had was actually in Philadelphia where we had, uh, had to drive down, and it was myself, Vince, and Jake Roberts that had to drive down and get with Sean and Brett and Razor, I believe it was, to help help them lay out the three-way match because nobody really understood how to do it. And ECW always did it as an elimination, but we used it as a way to just the first guy that scores a pinfall wins because the elimination kind of stopped the match down and then you had to restart it.
0: Well, and it adds another layer. If, if you can lose the belt without actually getting pinned, it sets up
1: next rematch. Yeah. Yeah. And so during this time, I don't remember who in particular, but I, I do remember being very much in favor of at this initial time with Kurt Angle not wanting to beat Kurt Angle. So it's a perfect way to get the championship off of Kurt without beating him. And then Kurt's got something to bitch about. And it worked because Kurt could be a good crybaby and could be a good bitcher.
0: Well and the two guys who wind up working a lot after this are Benoit and Jericho. They've got a long feud and of course they have a uh, an extensive history together. They worked together in Japan and Mexico, and of course, WCW and both, uh, having gone through the dungeon. WrestleMania 16 is going to be the first of six pay-per-view matches between them over the next year. Is this something that either guy was sort of campaigning for, or was it just a natural fit because of their experience together?
1: All the above. It was something that both talent really wanted to work with one another. And I'll never forget. You know, Chris explaining to me how many times he had worked with Benoit and how good the matches would be because they beat the crap out of each other. He says, We've got an agreement. We hit each other as hard as we want in the head, wherever, uh, just as long as nobody hits anybody in the nose or the mouth. And they did. They had great matches together because they had natural chemistry from working against each other for so long all over the world. And. It continued in my opinion here because you could feel you could feel that chemistry and you could feel the respect on both guys, and they did beat the living shit out of each other.
0: We should mention that uh, the night after WrestleMania two thousand here Chris loses his, his new European title to Eddie Guerrero when China turns on Jericho and goes with Eddie. It's weird how. You know, for whatever reason, the Jericho China dynamic nobody really remembers that one. But I think a lot of people still remember and and look back lovingly on the pairing of Eddie and China. Why is it sometimes that? Is it just up to their performers,
1: and sometimes the chemistry
0: is just there, and other times you just can't fake it, you can't force it. Either it's there, it's not.
1: Without a doubt, and the audience knows whether they can put their finger on it. But Eddie Guerrero and China had instant chemistry, and Eddie on his part was fighting so hard at this point to show everybody what he could do and, and just how good he truly was. So Eddie went out of his way and it was a time that I think a lot of people looked at it as if they can make this work, they being Eddie in China, then they can make anything work. And the China Eddie pairing to this day is just some of the best stuff and some of the most fun I ever had producing them because they were so easy to work with and could make something out of nothing. We went to the Playboy uh, offices in Chicago and had Eddie get thrown out. Absolutely classic stuff. But yeah, it comes down to chemistry. It comes down to if you can dance or not.
0: Well, you guys did something fun on the April seventeenth episode of Raw, and I remember this like it was yesterday. Triple H is defending his world title. Re- referee Earl Hebner is going to make a quote-unquote fast count when Jericho pins him. Chris wins, what? The, Chris wins the world title.
2: Wait, what? Someone beat Triple H? What?
0: Can you believe it? Now, of course, when when you figured out what happened, you put a stop to that shit, and you made sure that Hebner reversed the decision due to pressure from quote-unquote Triple H. <clears throat> Bruce Richard. And even now WWE doesn't recognize Jericho's reign as champion here, which lasted less than the length of the show. Um, chat me up. Is this just a way to sort of take the temperature of the audience? Or is it less about seeing where they see Jericho and more about, you know, we want to push the storyline and make the fans
1: hate triple H even more or both all the above. And it was. More than anything, it was during that Triple H power trip of having influence over all of the referees and, and being able to throw his weight around. So that was the story at the time. The referee getting referee being Earl Hebner, you know, getting pissed and it's like, Okay, I'll show you with the fast count on Jericho, you just lost your title and then realizing after the fact that, oh shit, I could lose my job. And that that was the story there. So it's, I thought it shit. I thought that was some easy, fun stuff to do.
0: Talk to me about, um, the behind the scenes relationship in 2000 with Jericho and triple H I know it's had its ups and downs and there's lots to cover on other episodes about future moments in time, but here in 2000 triple H right or wrong started to develop a little bit of a reputation. If you believe the rumor and innuendo, how would you categorize the relationship with him and Jericho here in 2000?
1: Well, they weren't going to be popping any tops and uh, having any cold adult beverages uh, anytime soon. I think that a lot of it was nothing less than personal jealousy. I mean, not personal jealousy, professional jealousy of, where each other was and Chris was still relatively new. Chris was still earning his stripes and trying to solidify a position in the company. And it's the old guard looking out and saying, okay, I see the new young kids coming in and there is a lot of professional just tension more than anything else. I don't know if they hated each other. I think that just was that they weren't going to go out and share a beer anytime soon. and, they were professionally working with one another, but it was uh was what it was.
0: Let's get to backlash two thousand. Uh Chris Benoit is gonna retain his intercontinental title, beating Chris Jericho by DQ and fifteen minutes and chains uh change. Uh Meltzer gave the match three and three quarter stars. He loved it, so it was an excellent match, but a lackluster finish. Um it's a weird deal where Jericho is going to grab the belt, put it in Benoit's path uh, when Benoit's going for the diving headbutt. So Benoit smashes his nose open on contact and and the referee calls for the DQ, and then Jericho puts White in the walls of Jericho after the match until other referees break it up. And Ross has to say the DQ was a bad call because the cameras totally missed the finish, but then the replay shows it perfectly. And he changes his call and says, no, it was a good call.
1: Her sassafras. I, you know, that, that's not a very good call on referees part. And, uh, oh, hell God damn it. They got it. I guess it was a pretty good. call. Sassafras. Is there any, no. is there,
0: is there any heat on the truck or Kevin Don specifically when they miss a shot like this?
1: If they were told about it. Yeah. There's fucking heat. <laughs> I mean, Kevin's not, not directing, so it's, it's not not on him, but it's just, a situation of if they know it's coming, Something. look, everybody's human. Sometimes they are going to fuck up and miss it, but they had it. Thank God on ISO. And they were able to get it correct in the replay. So this
0: is a new side of Jericho. We're seeing, you know, not only him as a heel, but him as, you know, a more vicious, violent heel with a bloody Benoit and the referees trying to pull him off. This is when you guys are trying to give Jericho a bit of an edge.
1: Yeah. Try to see a little bit of that pit bull in him because that's who Chris I think really is. And he's walking around at five ten or however tall Chris is, but Chris walks around like he's seven one and believes it. So when Chris steps into the ring, he's the biggest guy in the world.
0: We should mention that's going to set up a match, a judgment day, and this is going to be a submission match with Chris Benoit. Uh, but before we get there, he gets to work with Eddie Guerrero on the insurrection pay-per-view, which was UK only for the European title. Of course, Eddie retains there, but the submission match is what we're watching here in America. They go 13 minutes and 27 seconds on May 21st at this judgment day pay-per-view. It's a tremendous match. It's four stars. And the finish is interesting because they do the old passing out from the pain finish. Uh, Jericho's gonna make the ropes in the middle of this submission move. Of course, we're talking about um, you know, the the Crippler crossface. And Benoit's got the hold on him a second time and he passes out. And uh people loved it. Four star match here. What'd you think? I mean, obviously the uh him refusing to release the hold sets up a submission match nicely. A lot of people would say, Oh, these are a much more difficult match to watch. And Tony Schiavone even admits he doesn't like submission matches because he thinks it's a bigger crowd response because the crowd is conditioned for the one, two, three, and you can anticipate a bigger pop and get one. Usually when you're waiting for the hand to fall the third time, whereas with a submission, whereas the psychology maybe makes sense. He feels like it takes the live crowd out of it. Where do you fall on a submission match?
1: I think if it's worked correctly, and in my opinion, the, the, Benoit Jericho match was worked perfectly. You get false finishes, you get crowd reaction, is you're going for submission moves if you do it correctly. And I think that so many times, unfortunately, there's people go out and have a regular match without going for the submission throughout the match, working to their hold, so that when they finally do get it on, that's a false finish. That Brings the audience in. They want to because then they understand if he hooks his finish in, he gets him in a submission. Then by God, it's all over. And that's what Jericho was able to do with Benoit. He was able to condition the audience that if Jericho got the Walls Jericho on him or Benoit got the Crippled Crossfakes on him, it's over. So they would get there. They would get to the ropes. There were different ways, unique ways. Kurt Angle was another master at this type of a match because you believed when they got there it was going to be over, and those were the false finishes. So, yeah, there are definitely a lot of shitty submission matches out there because guys don't work to the submission. They just have a match, and then the finish is a submission. But you didn't tell me a story to get there.
0: Well, they're telling a story with Kurt angle. As you mentioned, uh, he was a master of the submission match. He also becomes the master of the King of the ring this year. He would go on to win the tournament, but on the way he beats Chris Jericho at the pay-per-view in a pretty good match, three and a half stars, but the Olympic slam gets it done. And on the heels of King of the ring, it's time for Chris to be programmed with triple H again. They're going to restart their feud on raw and, um, it results in an awesome, last man standing match between the two at fully loaded. They go 23 minutes and 11 seconds. Of course, Hunter gets the win, but it's a four and a half star match. People really, really liked it. Both guys uh, are down for the nine count triple H gets to his feet. Uh, so, uh, he technically beats the count and then collapses, but Hey, he stood up, so he wins the match. This is really the first time I think Jericho had a really good match with, with triple H in the company. What do you remember about their fully loaded 2000 last man standing match?
1: Well, again, it was another opportunity for, and again, you go back and you watch the match, two guys making each other and no matter who quote got the victory, it was the other guy was in the match and both. This is a win-win for both guys because it just showed how tough they were. And the way that the finish was executed with Triple H, you know, gets up right before nine, but then goes right back down. So it was emotional. Took the audience on a roller coaster ride that you felt it. And in my opinion, made both guys.
0: You know, I, I can't argue that. I mean, the finish was definitely there and it told the story, but I do wonder just, you know, as you start to look at where we are with Chris Jericho on pay-per-view, he loses here at fully loaded. He lost at King of the ring. Uh, he lost at judgment day. I mean, month after he lost at insurrection, he lost at backlash month after month. If Chris Jericho is on pay-per-view, he's fucking losing.
1: Yeah, we were just killing him because we invested all that money just to completely kill his character off.
0: Well, here's my point. If he's programmed up top on his debut with The Rock, but he doesn't ever actually get a match with The Rock, and instead he's losing to China and now everyone else in the company on pay-per-view, there are a lot of start and stops. It feels like when you're looking at this, Vince McMahon doesn't necessarily see him as a top guy because if he was, we would have heard, got it, goddamn pal, got to keep him strong. That doesn't happen here. Instead, it's, he's, he's positioned as maybe, I don't know, a, uh, a gatekeeper of sorts. If you beat Chris Jericho, maybe there's a spot for you to be a top guy, but if Jericho wins, you're definitely not going to be a top guy. He's, he's sort of the measuring stick. Maybe if you beat him, you're going to get a big push. And if you don't, oh, well, but we don't have any big plans for Jericho. That's the way this reads for me when he's losing on pay-per-view month after month.
1: He's working with top guys. He's working with top guys in all of these matches. So he was a top guy. And it, it's just because he doesn't win. And he, oh my God, that doesn't matter. As long as you have a story and a reason to come back, then the audience still perceived him as a top guy. I'm- a heel can get their heat losing every single night. When they come back and they pop off their mouth and they tell you how great they are and you want to see them get their ass kicked all over again. And if you go back, how many matches did Ric Flair win as the NWA world heavyweight champion? he never won a match. To be clear. I'm not, I'm not suggesting anything
0: about what the audience is perceiving at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to ask about Vince's perception of Jericho at this point, he clearly did not see Jericho you know, on the WrestleMania poster, he didn't see Jericho as the top guy. Fair to say.
1: No, I think that he was getting ready, getting Jericho ready for that. Okay. And putting Jericho in top positions and top spots with different guys. But some getting of this is also to,
0: to to test, you know, the middle of a man, right? You're trying to see, can this guy hang? Can this guy sustain? I mean. The travel schedule is one thing. The politics is enough. There's a lot of layers of things you've got to be tough enough for, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. And is Vince sort of maybe putting him through the paces here to just see where he shakes out?
1: Well, it's not putting him through the paces. It's putting him in stories. And if his story is interesting and he can carry that story, then you move on to the next story. And Jericho was able to do that in every instance, in my opinion.
0: All right, let's run our last and final timeout of the show. We're going to tell you about maybe the best value around right now, but you need to hurry. You need to go to Starcast on Fight before August nineteenth, because when you pre order Starcast on Fight, not only will you get Starcast three, which has a live being the elite mailbag with uh, how about the young bucks are going to be there, and SCU is going to be there, and Hangman Adam Page is going to be there. That's going to be a lot of fun. But then right after that we've got the presser for all out but right after that we've got the one man story about how cody rhodes went from undesirable to undeniable he'll be sitting down with tony shivani but we get things kicked off with a whole host of shows on friday but the main event is john moxley sitting down with good old jr to tell his stories only he can and i'm sure that's gonna be pretty newsworthy and then comes Saturday, man, we've got a double header. We've got Mick Foley telling his story as only he can. He's told this story all over the country, and now he's bringing it to StarCast and every show is different. I can't wait to see what Mick has up his sleeve, but what everybody online is talking about is CM Punk back in the wrestling space on stage with a live mic. you get all these shows for one low price. And when you pre-order, you get all of StarCast one and all of StarCast two. We're talking 60 shows, more than 70 hours of content. You just can't beat this deal. It's 39 bucks, and you own these shows forever. You get to see Starcast 3 live, and you get all of these shows on on demand with unlimited replays. So why wouldn't you do this? 70 hours of content. We're talking sit downs with Sting and Aaron Anderson, Dustin Rhodes, on and on including a debate between Bruce Pritchard and Eric Bischoff, even the roast of Bruce Pritchard and so much more. Go check out the lineup. You gotta see it for yourself. It's Starcastonfight.com. But hurry. This offer ends on August 19th. That's S-T-A-R-R-C-A-S-T on F-I-T-E.com. Starcast on Fight. There's two R's in Starcast and Fight as F-I-T-E.com. Go check it out. Starcast on Fight. you will be glad you did. So after this, uh, we're back to, um, I mean, it would have been a huge win for Jericho to beat triple H of course that doesn't happen. So now we're back to working with more members of DX. We'll go back to the beginning almost. And we're back with X at unforgiven 2000, which is a rematch from unforgiven 99. This time Jericho gets the pin nine minutes and three seconds. And after the match, x pacs going to destroy Jericho with nunchucks, which is kind of fun. Three and a half stars there. That sets up, as you can imagine, a, a stipulation match, uh, which will happen at no mercy. It's a cage match and Jericho gets the win here as well. Three and a half stars. So he's picked up a couple of wins back to back on pay-per-view after a bit of a losing streak and on the heels of finishing up with X-Pac, he winds up feuding with Kane. Um, kind of an unusual pairing at the time, I guess he's worked with guys more his size. The Andy Guerrero's, the Chris Benoit's, the x the Kurt Angles. Now he's with a monster here at Survivor Series. And this match is not as well-received. Star in three quarters. They get 12 minutes and 34 seconds at this Survivor Series show. Do You think the match was too long? Well, why don't you think this one was a, a better match? I mean, Kane obviously has had really good matches. Jericho pretty consistently, re- very good matches. This one may be a bit of a miss.
1: Yeah, I think that the first time... Going in a little difficult, um, just not a whole lot of now's keep saying chemistry and styles clash, maybe is the phrase, you know, like, you
0: know, Jericho works a much different style than Kane.
1: Yeah, very much so. And it just, sometimes it doesn't work. I, I don't think that the initial, and there was a feeling out process. So it just didn't, uh, just didn't work. Well, the finish is what it
0: is. Kane just grabs it by the throat, choke slams him for the pin star in three quarters. They have a rematch at the rebellion pay-per-view, sort of the same deal. Same, uh, star in three quarters. Um, but then Armageddon, it's a last stand last man standing match, which, uh, apparently was a very popular stipulation of Sarah, 17 minutes and 16 seconds. And what you know it? Jericho gets the win. Now, how does he do this? Well, uh, Jericho puts a bulldog on cane through a table, but the table doesn't break, so they do it a second time and the table breaks, although not in the manner they would have liked. So then he shoves a set up wall of 20 barrels welded together down onto cane. Of course, we know the way they fell. That Kane's probably going to be okay, except he can't get up. But wouldn't you know it? A hand peeks through, and for all we know, he's still under there today. Uh, two stars, Bruce. Has anybody checked? Come on, man. What 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 is Vince McMahon's fascination with dumping walls of shit on God? Not actual shit, but you know. Uh, this is, uh, I know we don't talk about anything current, but God damn Bruce who booked this shit, Ugh. 20 barrels welded together. And then you see the hand peeking through.
1: First of all, it's more than 20 barrels. <laughs> and how the fell fuck else are you going to get the big red machine down?
0: Well, I don't know. How about let's not book him in a last man standing match unless we have a, a blow off planned. Right. Well, it was a blow off, but a
1: wall, a wall of barrels,
0: not a wall of Jericho, the walls of barrels.
1: Kind of like the walls of Jericho. (sighs) I think the walls of Jericho, whatever the finish was, it had to be a finish with walls in it. Here's my
0: question. I guess. Is this a, is this a Vince McMahon staple? Goddamn pal. Let's just get him backstage and dump a bunch of shit on him.
1: No, it was, again, when you look at that character and you look at Kane, what are you going to do to stop him? He was Michael Myers. He was, he was that horror movie character. So you had to do something unique to stop him. Hence, put something on top of him. <laughs> you can stop him, but he'll still come back, by God, at oh. some point once he makes his way through the rubble.
0: I love it so much. Put something on top of him. Well, this is... um, I mean, would you argue that at this point, you know, since the whole thing on Raw with Triple H was overturned, is this like the biggest non-title win of Jericho's tenure so far in the company? I mean, he got a win over Kane, the Big Red Machine, the Monster, you know, Last Man Standing match. He dumped a wall of shit on him. Fucking A. (sighs) It's the end of his first full year in the company. He was there, you know, from... January 1st to December 31st in the year 2000. How would you rate it?
1: You know, uh, I would rate it pretty good because he was involved all the way through from his debut, um, all the way through man. And he was constantly involved and constantly able to get into new stories and keep them fresh and keep going.
0: Talk to me a little bit about, you know, Kane and Jericho and, and, and they behind the scenes relationship because they've, I mean, Glenn Jacobs Kane has a reputation for being one of the nicest guys ever. He's the fucking mayor for God's sake, a really salt of the earth, dude. And Jericho probably needed this win in a big way. Can you tell us anything about their
1: relationship? I think that they had a pretty good relationship out of the ring. I believe that there was a lot of mutual respect there and probably even a friendship, but they, they got along well. And it was, uh, yeah, I don't think there's any animosity there whatsoever. I think that it was both guys trying to do the best with what they were given.
0: And man, Chris has given something he can sink his teeth into here in 2001. The Royal Rumble 2001 was a big show. uh, And of course, Jericho's coming off a big win on pay-per-view over the big red machine. And he's programmed with one of his very best friends, Chris Benoit and Chris Benoit is the intercontinental champion. So the intercontinental title is going to be on the line here and it's in a ladder match and they get plenty of time, 18 minutes and 44 seconds. Meltzer would say started with a lot of good mat wrestling before any ladder involvement Benoit at one point whipped Jericho into a ladder in a spot that couldn't have been better executed Jericho nailed Benoit. With a hard chair shot to the head as he was coming through the ropes with a tope. These guys are pulling out all the stops, including a missile drop kick uh, into the ladder, into Benoit's face. Just unbelievable stuff, including Benoit missing a diving headbutt off the top of the ladder. Uh, the finish is, is pretty crazy. Benoit's climbing, and this time Jericho shoves the ladder, and Benoit goes over the top, and that gives Jericho enough time to climb the ladder and get the belt four and three quarter stars at a time when Meltzer was not passing out star ratings very easily unanimously received is probably the best match Jericho's had in the company up to this point. And I realized that anytime there's a ladder match in the WWF post WrestleMania 10, it's just almost impossible to compare. And I know that the, the TLCs really took it to another level, but just a traditional ladder match no matter what you're battling for second place. This is probably as good of a candidate for second place ever though. Is it not?
1: Yeah. But first of all, fuck Dave Meltzer and his fucking stars. This was a great match. And the reason it was so good was, it was two guys that were looking to take a ladder match that had certain expectations in it and be able to create something that was different and unique to them do things that hadn't been done before in ladder matches and create moments that made sense where like the, the damn walls of Jericho on the top of the ladder onto Benoit. Those were the type of things that the ladder hadn't been used for up until this point had been used as a weapon in different ways, but Chris and Chris and Chris both went into it and their goal was to be different. Their goal was not to have the average ladder match. Not saying that ladder matches are average by any stretch of the imagination, but not to have the typical ladder match. They wanted to go out and be completely different than what anybody had seen before. That's why I think it was so damn good.
0: Well, and there's a couple of moments here in the match that really are outstanding, including, uh, a, a, Walls of Jericho on top of the fucking ladder. Yeah. I mean, that's unbelievable when you really think about it. I mean, what a big moment that is. Nothing like that has ever been done before. And I guess we should also mention that somewhere in here, they're working over the different submission maneuvers and, you know, he, he tries the walls on top of the ladder. So. When Benoit hooks the cross face, of course, Jericho's tapping like crazy, but that's not the way you win in this. You've got to climb the ladder. So if you're going to watch one match from Chris Jericho this week, uh, based on our show, if you're able to watch a Benoit match, this is the one to watch Royal Rumble 2001. Let's get to the no way out pay-per-view. Chris is going to be defending the uh, intercontinental title in a four way with a handful of his very best friends, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit and X-Pac. They got 12 minutes and 18 seconds and they start the match sort of teasing that Benoit and Guerrero are going to be joining forces. So of course they turn on each other. Um, just incredible is here to help out X-Pac. It's okay. Three and a half stars, probably a little challenging to put together a match with four different performers like this, but Jericho gets his hand raised 12 minutes, 18 seconds. What'd you think?
1: Wait a minute, Jericho won another match. I thought we were destroying him. I thought we killed him. That
0: was 2000. We're we're, we're starting 2001 with a bang, baby. We got big plans, big plans.
1: (laughs) No, again, this is an opportunity. You're looking at stars, man. And you're looking at what's next down around the next corner. And Jericho always was that, that is the build. And now slowly, but surely moving along and it's just more in the build of Chris Jericho.
0: Let's, uh, talk about the next thing we're going to start getting ready for WrestleMania and I'm really looking forward to talking about this because Chris is going to start a feud with William Regal and Regal has been the commissioner for the WWF and Chris interrupts Regals promo on raw and the next week. He pees in William Regal's tea and Regal drank it, said it was tart. And I tell you, man, a lot of this, a lot of the matches and you know, a lot of the promos, they can sort of run together over time and as silly as it is, I don't think I'll ever forget William Regal's face after he drank that piss.
1: Hey, Conrad. Hey, it was working piss.
0: I know it's working piss. It's theater of the mind. God damn it. I'm putting over how much we got it from PRS. Oh, PRS. I like them. Those are our sponsors this week. Chat me up though. William Regal came into his own and as in the company in this commissioner angle, and it was because of moments like this, like he made the most out of his TV time here. Did he not?
1: Absolutely. And you had to Jerry to play off of as well and getting to this whole issue and program with Chris Jericho was one of both guys really wanting to work with each other from their time spent at WCW and whatnot. They felt that they would have really, really good matches, which led us to, you know, the, the WrestleMania match. It was also a time where Jericho's emerging as a babyface, and he was, man, he was getting over and Regal was the perfect foil for that. So, both guys really, really, really wanted this bad. I don't know. I don't know if it was just the years apart from working with each other or what it was, but I don't think that the matches were the best story was great. The story was absolutely great, but I don't know if the matches were as good, maybe because Regal wasn't working as much at the time and may have been a little rusty, but they, um, you know, I thought they were two guys that had natural, just they, they worked so well together and then you, you get them in the ring and ring the bell and it was off a little bit.
0: All right. We'll talk about the matches, but first I got to know more about this piss brother. I feel like, um, you know, this, this, this show is basically, uh, we delve into the mind of McMahon every week, one way or another. And there are so many angles, whether it's the DOA getting their, their bikes peed on. And I mean, you even said on the show here before, oh, Vince loves peeing on stuff. Is this a Vince McMahon idea? Like what if he pisses in the tea? How does that come up in a creative meeting?
1: Actually, during this time, and, and I could be wrong, and when I am, I'm sure everyone will let me know, but there was a, I don't know if it was a subway or somewhere where they had the camera in the kitchen, and a guy had, like, peed on somebody's food. So, I that, I specifically remember during that time, that being one of the examples for this— but I don't even know if this was um, Vince's idea as much as this. This may have been a, like a Brian Giewert's idea. But I do remember that being an example of that was kind of big in the news for a while. Of the the guy that had urinated in someone's food.
0: Well, it happens. No, no argument for me. It does indeed. And, and on our way to WrestleMania, you guys have a March 26th Raw uh which I think we've covered here on the show before because of the uh surprise ending. But Doink the Clown does a run in here and puts William Regal in the crab and of course Regal taps and Doink unmasks and it's Jericho. We saw a version of this happen in WCW with Dean Malenko dressing up as a luchador uh, to take on Chris Jericho. H- who pitched uh Jericho as Doink? That's fun stuff.
1: I believe it was actually Jericho. I think it was Jericho's idea of trying to replicate what he had done before. Plus, he looked like Doink. He made a good Doink. I would have liked to have had Jericho as Doink. I think that he and uh, Matt Bourne would be two people that really could have made that character over the top.
0: Did you ever pitch that? No. That would have been tremendous. Jericho.
1: It really would have been. I mean, you think about it and it's, it's, uh, something that Jericho can keep in his back pocket. You're welcome. Uh, well, I don't think he can do it now. He might be able to, you never know. Really?
2: Hmm.
0: Uh, Feels like you guys would on that. We do. <laughs> Let's get to uh, WrestleMania 17. We know what's coming. Chris Jericho gets the big win over William Regal. He retains, uh, the match is fine, of course, and. Meltzer would say in some ways, well wrestled by Regal. Although Jericho had one of those matches where he was sw- slightly off on things where it ended up disappointing is that it was just too short. Uh, Meltzer gave it two stars, seven minutes with these guys. It does feel like maybe if they had a little longer, maybe they could have got their rhythm going a little bit. And, but you know, at a, at a big show,
1: like hey, her- here's what's funny. You just said that this match was probably too short and a minute ago, a match was eight minutes and he said it was too long.
0: No, it was a Kane match that was
1: like 17 minutes or something. No, like it was it was like eight or nine. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. It certainly wasn't 17.
0: Okay. You know what? You're right. It was Survivor Series and it was 12 minutes. Okay. Uh, a Kane match <laughs> at 12 minutes and a William Regal match at 12 minutes or, or at seven minutes or different things. Would you disagree? Yes. Okay. We'll just let uh, Kane go out there and do the Huracan enchilada, double cheese or whatever you
1: With it. or without onions. Yeah.
0: Um, the next night after WrestleMania 17, Chris is going to wrestle angle and Ringle in a handicap match. And Angle's got the ankle lock on Chris until Benoit runs in and makes the save. That sort of plants the seeds of a Jericho Benoit tag team match. Uh, but a few days later on SmackDown, uh, the intercontinental title run for Jericho, well, that's over. Triple H beats his ass. Stephanie distracts the ref whenever Jericho has a pin. Triple H is tapping out to the walls, but there's no referee. Jericho puts Stephanie in the walls, but Triple H gets a chair that Regal brought out and hits him with it, then gives him the pedigree. And there you go. Triple H over Jericho for time number 273. Backlash happens April 29th, 2001. And I can't wait for you to talk about this when we mentioned it in our William Regal episode, but this is, a, yeah, a Duchess of Queensberry match. And I know what you're thinking. What the fuck is that? Well, we've got a, uh, a woman dressed up as the Duchess at ringside and well, do you want to take it from here?
1: Well, it's. The duchess match. So the duchess gets to make the rules as it goes along and whatever the duchess wants, the duchess gets. Okay. So every time that Regal would get in a difficult predicament, that was the end of the round. So if Jericho
0: has the walls of Jericho and Regal's tapping out.
1: Ding, ding, ding. Well, they could just. Round's over. Round's over. Doesn't count.
0: Yeah, so they can announce that the uh, submissions aren't allowed under these rules, and then exactly. <laughs> Regal can hit Jericho over the head with the Duchess's
1: scepter and get disqualified. Well, that's okay, but, because it was the Duchess's scepter. If he had used the Duchess's scepter, that would have been bad. This is like
0: out of an out of a fucking fever dream here. Who booked this shit? I booked this shit. This is really bad. Shame on you.
1: Why Because it sucked? No, it was good. Shit. It's entertaining. You're still talking about it. Well, because we have to, well, we don't have to,
0: uh, Regal winds up with his face and Duchess's his crotch. And, uh, you know, it, it sort of is what it is. Regal nails Jericho with three chair shots. He gets the pin. It's, uh, hard to follow because, you know, they're telling a story, but I guess it, does the job 12 minutes here for these guys one star they have another match at the uh, uk pay-per-view insurrection on may 5th and this is the queen's cup on the line here which i guess is a spoof of the stanley cup and this is a much better match between these guys they get 14 minutes and 46 seconds jericho wins with the walls of jericho three and a quarter stars the queen's cup where do you think that piece of memorabilia is? you think uh Ben Brown's got that in the warehouse somewhere?
1: Yeah, maybe with a knot in it somewhere. Judgment Day is uh,
0: Benoit and Jericho in what is essentially a tag team gauntlet to become the number one contenders. Benoit winds up as the mystery partner of Jericho, and they had uh, a lot of wrestling here on this night. Benoit and Jericho would beat X Factor in five minutes and 16 seconds, and then they would beat. Uh, Edge and Christian, in seven minutes and eight seconds. Who puts Benoit and Jericho together? Why is that a natural pairing, and why did it work so well? Really, really good matches here.
1: (coughs) Pardon me. Uh, Benoit and Jericho were friends, and you had done almost everything that you could do with the two of them against one another. Very similar styles, and they wanted to work together as a tag team, and it kind of shakes things up a little bit because now you have a new tag team with old characters, you know, old characters. They've been there a year and already you're thinking it's old, but it was just a way to freshen it up and put a new, uh, paint a coat on it.
0: Well, the next night, uh, everything changes. It's the May 21st, raw Jericho and Benoit are in the main event against Steve Austin and triple H the world tag team titles are on the line and Jericho and Benoit get the win. This is a tremendous match, but their win is not really what people remember. This is the match where triple H famously Taurus quad for the first time. Jericho has Austin in the walls of Jericho. And when triple H hit him from behind, he planted his leg wrong and Taurus quad, he finishes the match and is even taking the walls of Jericho on the announce table with a torn fucking quad. And the finish comes when triple H misses a sledgehammer shot on Jericho and hits Austin, which allowed Jericho to score the pin really good match. I mean, probably the best main event match on raw in a long, long time, but that's not the story. What a fucking horrific injury for triple H
1: here. Well, I don't know how many people out there have ever torn a quad, but basically when you tear your quad, the ability to walk, uh, on both legs is immediately stricken from you. So he had torn his quad and really only had one leg and continued the match. So for everybody, all the naysayers and what have you, of Triple H, um, unbelievable accomplishment. And as you just said, he took the walls of Jericho with the torn quad on the table. After he should have been down and he should have been carried out on a stretcher and he kept going, he kept going in the match and then still refused to go out on a stretcher at the end and basically hopped his way uh, up the ramp afterwards and immediately sat down and then got the stretcher and then went away. But that was one of the most incredible things. When you go back and look at it and we knew he was hurt, had no idea how bad until he got to the back.
0: The uh, hits keep coming a few days later on SmackDown. It's a TLC match where Jericho and Benoit have to defend their belts against the Dudleys, Edge and Christian, and the Hardys. And the finish was Edge spearing Jericho off the ladder from another ladder. And then Benoit climbed the ladder and got both belts. This is almost like one of the forgotten TLC matches. And it's on fucking SmackDown. I mean, you guys were uh, pulling at all the stops here on TV, huh?
1: yeah, I mean, it was during time. where just TV getting even more and more competitive and, and trying to keep those ratings up
0: on the May 28th. They're all from Calgary Jericho wins the hardcore title from big show in four and a half minutes show throws him around the entire match until Jericho finally does a missile drop kick into the steps that show was holding and down he goes. And then Jericho pins him after a lion salt. And as he's leaving with the belt, he's gored at the top of the ramp by Rhino. Rhino pins him and gets the belt. So there you go. Later in the show, Jericho has Austin in the lion tamer and Austin's tapping. And after the show goes off the air, Chris gets on the house mic and talks about Owen Hart. Pretty special moment here for Jericho in front of his Canadian audience and getting a moment to work with uh, Steve Austin and in the big bane event. And then sort of pay tribute to Owen had to be a, uh, a tough time. I mean, we're just a couple of years removed from losing Owen and, uh, in Calgary that had to be well-received.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Jericho's, you know, he's, he's from Winnipeg or, but he's you idiot. What? No, he's
0: that's his gimmick. Winnipeg, you idiot. Oh,
1: you're an idiot. I got keep calling me an idiot. Okay. Okay. Moving on.
0: Uh, the June 4th, raw Austin beats Jericho to retain the title. Uh, Foley and Hebner are the referees and the finish would see Hebner, um, take a bump and then regal attacks Foley. And while all this is going on, of course, Austin's tapping out to the walls of Jericho. And then Foley accidentally hits Jericho with a chair and Jericho is thrown in but kicks out, but then Austin hits the stunner and that's the pin. And, It's been written that, well, Meltzer says the reason the king of the ring match was changed from Austin versus Jericho to a three-way was because of the feeling it made the match more intriguing. There is a working idea for Austin to cost them the tag titles, but they'll be after him together going for revenge. But that psychology pretty well makes Austin the face. And if they don't win, totally makes them both come across as mid card. And even if they do win... It can, if done correctly, come across as them
1: backdooring. So and this comes from Meltzer sitting in on the creative meeting and knowing all of this is fact.
0: Well, help me understand. We're, we're talking about King of the ring. Originally, it was supposed to be one-on-one. Now it is a three-way and the world title is going to be on the line. Originally, according to who Meltzer. Okay. Well, I'm just saying based on the storyline, I mean, we've seen multiple times where it's Austin and and Jericho. Like on TV?
1: Yes, to build, to get to the three-way. But yes, it was a story. <laughs> but but no, hang on. That, again, the story was to get to the three-way. The story was to build to that. You do Austin Jericho first, and then you get Benoit into it. It's it's not that difficult. And because you do that, oh, that's where they were originally going to go. He doesn't know fuck all.
2: Okay, you ain't got to get hot about it. No, I do get hot about it because people actually read his shit as if it's fact. And it's fucking fiction and
1: speculation. I feel like you're Always has been, always will be, and... uh, He's never sat in on one fucking goddamn decision-making meeting in his fucking life.
0: Are you more fired up about this since you've gone back and people have showed you the dirt sheet or whatever and you're i don't
1: i I, god oh yeah what's what's wrong
0: take a fucking pill is it five o'clock where's your alarm let's get some meds in you buddy it's gonna be okay
2: okay
0: Three, two, one, one, two, three. What's the matter with me? Come on. Some deep breaths. All right. All right.
2: Yeah.
0: I love it when you get fired up. So, Steve Austin's in a three way. He's supposed to be the monster heel. I guess Jericho and Benoit are supposed to be the baby faces, but Austin retains in a three way. 27 minutes, 52 seconds. Certainly the biggest match of, of Jericho's run in the company so far. I mean, you're working with the biggest star in the business. It's for the title, three and three quarter stars. Booker T is going to show up out of the crowd and uh, put Austin through a table and Booker gets excited, maybe throws him a little bit too far. And Austin tries to protect himself, but he overshoots the table. And in doing so injures his hand. So there's a lot of, uh, Layers to this story. What do you remember about this three-way and the Booker T interference and the fallout from that?
1: Well, it was originally supposed to be Goldberg. Everybody knows that because I'm, because I hate this guy.
0: Bruce, take your pills. God damn. I was right on time with that.
1: Okay. Hang on. Oh, we're really doing it. (sighs) All right. (laughs) <laughs> no, we, we've told the story a gazillion times about the, the Booker T, you know, it was an accident Shit happen sometimes. And, and I think it was, uh, maybe a little bit of nerves, but I don't think it was, I think it was just a sheer accident and everybody being so pumped up shit happens sometimes. And unfortunately, Steve fucked up his hand in that process. And that's all there is to that. But.
0: Now behind the scenes, Benoit's—he's hurting here, so he's going to need to be out of here. I think that's probably why a lot of people assumed it was just going to be Jericho Austin, because not too terribly long after this match, um, Benoit and Jericho would lose the tag titles to the Dudley Boys, and then Benoit would go off to have the neck surgery, and he's gone for nearly a year. Was there any other creative that you can recall for this King of the Ring, Steve Austin, world title match? Obviously we know it's a three way with Jericho and Benoit and Booker T's in the mix. You say that's not what the original plan was with Austin Jericho. What was another idea that was presented before you landed on this one?
1: Well, again, you go back to triple H being involved in, in everything that we were doing from that standpoint. And then when, triple H got out of the mix. Now you're, you're back at square one and you've got to change all your creative. And in addition to that, the audience wasn't buying Steve Austin as a heel. They wanted their stone cold baby face. So, you know, it, it was, it was a rebuilding time. It was a time that we had to shift a lot of things around and, you know, that sucked.
0: You know, is there, Is there an idea to have, you know, since Triple H is out of action and he he hurts himself and is no longer able to compete after a tag match with these guys, Benoit and Jericho, if you know Benoit is going to have to go away for a while, is the creative ever discussed, hey, what if we had Austin quote-unquote go too far and then he puts Benoit on the shelf so it's sort of tit for tat and then that sets up Jericho? Or at this point, since you know The Rock's coming back, are you really just giving Austin something to do until rocks back.
1: Well, you had to have a, you had to have a story and, and again, Austin was being positioned in that, in that position as the heel and audiences, they just weren't buying it. So you had to get somewhere. We didn't know when Benoit was going away and, and or for how long. So, it's, you're trying to get through it. You're, you're trying to, to make all this shit work, and you're holding it together with spitballs. Um, just a just a tough rebuilding time and a lot of injuries all at once. And you do the best you can with what you've got at the time and, and with what knowledge you have at the time.
0: I guess we should mention here that the story that we're sort of building towards is also the WCW invasion which you know because Booker T showed up. And so now you've got Benoit and Jericho, two former WCW wrestlers and and now Booker T and now even Vince McMahon is deserting Steve Austin after the big turn at WrestleMania 17. So it feels like boy these are insurmountable odds but somehow Austin gets the win here in this match and he pins Benoit And Meltzer would say this, with Benoit being injured and out of action all summer, the only logical finish was that he had to be the one pinned. There was no point in Jericho winning either with Rock coming back to challenge Austin theoretically. A lot of people were mad because the same guys who never win the big ones didn't again after a false start of a push, but the problem wasn't the match. It was the decision to do a three-way and everything that was done on television after that decision was made.
1: And this again comes from all of his, uh, expertise of booking so many finishes and so many territories and writing hours upon hours of television and actually booking things that have ever drawn and putting his own money in promotions and things of that nature. Okay.
0: On the July 9th, raw Booker T beat Chris to retain the world title after Nick Patrick did a fast count on Jericho and, um, that's sort of an interesting storyline. I suppose Jericho has been programmed near the top and now we're going to further this storyline and position Jericho as a WWF guy and Booker T is a WCW guy here with that decision. And so as a result, Jericho starts feuding with Rhino as part of the invasion angle, because of course, Rhino is going to be across the aisle as part of the ECW section of the invasion and. You know, I've always been curious, I guess, you know, what, why was it because Jericho jumped ahead of time. So therefore in your head, it wouldn't make sense logically for him to go back to the guys he left because Jericho actually checked all the boxes. He'd been in ECW and he'd been in WCW. Why the decision to keep Jericho on the WWF side of things?
1: Because he was a WWE guy at the time and I think that our audience, that's how they saw him. They saw Jericho is a WWE guy, not a former WCW guy. And that was just such a small percentage of the audience that would have remembered that. You would have had to go back and retell that. And again, you had new, fresh WCW guys coming in. And Jericho hadn't been there in several years. So he was a WWE guy. Plus he didn't want to be WCW guy. We
0: should mention that as part of this feud with Rhino, uh, Rhino gets a few wins on TV, uh, and that leads to their match at SummerSlam where they get 12 and a half minutes Jericho, uh, slips on the ropes twice late in the match. Um, and at some point has his bell rung early on when he's doing a plancha off the top to the floor and gets gored. And there is a concern that maybe he's got a concussion because he's really knocked for a loop here. Match is pretty good though. Two and a quarter stars. Uh, going to hit on an Enzigiri and then Rhino hits a belly to belly, but he misses a gore. And then Jericho gets a submission in the middle with the walls of Jericho. Uh, at the end of the month on the August 25th Smackdown, he's back in there with Steve Austin and Steve Austin gets a win in about eight minutes when he rolls through. A schoolboy and gets the pin holding the ropes. So, once again, Steve Austin is very much the bad guy. And then we start to see a bit of a feud programmed for Rob Van Dam and Chris Jericho. And Van Dam has said over the years that he didn't really enjoy working with Jericho in this era, but I enjoyed watching it, especially their unforgiven match, 16 and a half minutes, and they got a four star match out of it. I don't think Rob Van Dam and Jericho could have a bad match if they tried. I mean, I'm sure they did somewhere, but I never saw it. I I dug their chemistry together. What do you think of, uh, that September pay-per-view unforgiven with Rob Van Dam retaining the hardcore title over Chris Jericho?
1: Well, again, I'll put Van Dam in the same category as Benoit when it comes to working with Chris Jericho, because they did, they had some solid matches to beat the hell out of each other. They might've been. Uh, maybe Rob thinks they might've been a little clumsy, but that's frankly what I liked about them. They weren't smooth and pretty. They looked like two guys going out there and having a match and, and trying to win. And it looked real partially because a lot of what they were doing was very real. It, it's so pre- I, I liked them.
0: It's pretty fascinating because on the heels of this match, it feels like things really change. For Chris Jericho, Um, he has another match on SmackDown where RVD would once again get the win, but what's different about this one is Stephanie McMahon is at ringside doing commentary. And of course, eventually she gets involved in the match and the finish would see Chris hit Stephanie with the flying forearm. But when he turns around, he gets nailed with the Van Daminator for the pin and Chris working with Stephanie. When that happens, somebody somewhere says,
1: Hey, I think we got something here, right? Absolutely. And it was, you know, kind of look, Stephanie is, is a good heel and she's good fodder for a baby face. So it was something that Chris could sink his teeth into. And the audience loved that. Man, they just loved that banter back and forth. And Chris was good at it. So it was great timing more than anything.
0: The October 8th, raw, Everything changes and all of a sudden we see Jericho, uh, start to come out on the other side with the program he started with originally on one side of the ring, we've got Rob Van Dam teaming up with Shane McMahon and they're taking on Chris Jericho and the rock. They're going to go seven minutes and 36 seconds. Chris is going to, uh, get bloodied up here and leave. And that means the rock is in here all by himself. Shane would save RVD from the pen after a rock bottom. And then Chris goes for a chair shot on RVD, but hits the rock who is then in fact, pinned rock confronts Jericho as he's getting medical attention and Jericho apologized, but he's not thrilled with this situation and says something under his breath. So when rock confronts him a second time, Jericho's pissed punches him. And now there's a big pull apart. And the plot of the storyline that they would say on commentary is that Chris can't win the big one, which maybe you know, in, in traditional wrestling booking would say, oh, well that means he's definitely going to win the big one. But that really was the story up to this point where he had gotten lots of wins over mid card guys, but he hadn't beaten Steve Austin. He hadn't beaten triple H and now he's in here with the rock. And this is really who he started with. So at no mercy, he's going to challenge the rock for the world title, October 21st, 2001. And wouldn't you know it? It's a big day jericho gets the win in a four and a half star match that goes 23 minutes and 44 seconds Meltzer would say the crowd was electric before they even locked up almost like rock austin from wrestlemania they need to bottle this crowd and take them on tour uh jim ross brought up some of the great title events that had happened in st louis throwing out all the big names like Kaniski and briscoe and flair and this is a barn burner of a match. And if you're gonna watch one Chris Jericho match this week in honor of this show, and for whatever reason you don't want to watch the Benoit match, I get that. No mercy, two thousand one, is match with The Rock here. Fucking badass match, man.
1: It really was, and, and it did to a lot of people that sentiment of Jer and I think that the sentiment sometimes was that Jericho didn't belong. In the big ones. Right. You know, not not just that he couldn't win them. He, he didn't belong And Chris Jericho on this night proved that not only did he belong, but he could be the measuring stick for everybody else.
0: not only is, uh, he, the measuring stick for everybody else in the locker room now, because he's having really good matches with a lot of talent, but he's wanting to, uh, sort of spike the football a little bit. And, he does an interview where he rips Eric Bischoff on the website saying, I want to dedicate the win to Bischoff and shove it up his ass because he said I could never do it. Uh, and he sort of, uh, tempered that remark saying he didn't mean it maliciously, even though it came out that way. And then Bischoff winds up responding in a one wrestling.com interview and explaining why he nicks the Goldberg Jericho program. Saying, as I recall, Kevin Nash convinced Goldberg that he shouldn't work with Jericho because he was too small. And Bischoff said he thought it would be difficult to keep Jericho if he nixed the program, but he did. And believes it was the right decision because neither Goldberg nor Jericho were ready for it. And uh, if you recall on WCW TV, they built up the angle and then decided not to do it. And, uh, yeah. What do you think about you know, the, the decision by Jericho to sort of dedicate the win to Eric Bischoff.
1: Oh, I love it. I mean, I think that it's, it's one of those things to take the naysayers and what have you that you go through in your career and we've all got them telling you why you can't do certain things. And, and it is nice when you achieve something of that level that we're competitors and you kind of want to say, okay, you said I couldn't do this and I did. So, I think that's chris's pride and and standing up and saying, "You didn't believe in me, but somebody else did and i and I did it, so I don't have a problem with that.
0: the next night on Raw. this is good creative here. Jericho gives Rock the nameplate from the w c. w belt as a present, and the rock then gives Jericho a chair saying he's gonna need it in a rematch, but wouldn't you know it these Enemies become friends and partners when they tag team up to beat the Dudleys to win the tag titles in about eight minutes. And the finish would see Rock about to get three deed when Jericho would save him, and then Rock pins Devon with the Rock Bottom. After the match, Rock grabs both of the tag belts and the WCW belt, gives Jericho the tag belt, and does a tease before giving him the world title as well. And the next week on SmackDown. Test and Booker win the tag titles from Jericho and rock after Jericho accidentally hit rock with a missile drop kick and test pinned the rock after the big kick. Of course, there's a big argument after the match and that results in Jericho attacking him, but gets a rock bottom for his trouble. And that gets us to, uh, the, uh, the big rematch on the November 5th raw, but on the way there, there's another UK pay-per-view where Jericho gets a win over Kurt angle. Very good match but not one that a lot of us saw over here, uh, 15 minutes is what they give the rock and Jericho on this raw, which is a a pretty good match. Uh, The finish would see Jericho put on the walls of Jericho, but rock makes the ropes and then he catches him with an inside cradle for the pin. So not your typical, we hit the big finish move, but a real wrestling finish, which I kind of dig it, but Jericho did not. He goes fucking crazy and hits rock with a belt and a couple of chair shots. And that sets up the Survivor Series pay-per-view, which we've covered before. It's sort of the blow off of the Invasion pay-per-view. Chris is in the main event, which is Team WWF versus Team Alliance. And uh, Chris would eliminate RVD in the match. And then he himself is eliminated by Austin. Uh, A few days later on SmackDown, Jericho is with the Dudleys. And um, they're going to get a win over The Rock and RVD. And not too long after this is when we hear the announcement. And this is the the thing we've been leading to the entire show. Chris is going to be in a four-man tournament to crown the first undisputed champion at the vengeance pay-per-view. So the concept, as you recall, is when WCW comes in, they're bringing in their world champion, Booker T. So we've got two world titles sort of floating around here, but now that the invasion is effectively done at the end of survivor series, we don't need two world titles. Let's have one undisputed champion and the four guys, of course, are going to be the rock, Steve Austin, Kurt angle, and Chris Jericho. We should remind you, triple H is on the shelf and hurt at this point. So is Chris Benoit. Bruce, was anybody else considered to be in this four-man tournament or, or why? I mean, obviously we understand Austin and rock. No questions asked. What's the thought process with adding Benoit and angle here? If, uh, and, and was anybody else considered?
1: Well, I think that when we got to this point, it was the point of, all right, I think it's a little confusing with the two different world championships, if you will, and the need and desire to get to one championship. That was was really the intent. But again, had we had healthy Triple H and had a few more players that I don't know that things wouldn't have been a little bit different at that time. So it was looking at really shaking things up and utilizing the talent that we had, but also trying to be as unpredictable as we possibly could as well.
0: Let me ask, you know, and uh, uh, this is a weird question to ask, but let's pretend for a minute, hypothetically, Triple H does not tear his quad. Let's pretend hypothetically, Chris Benoit does not need neck surgery. Is it still these same four guys, or if you have Benoit and Triple H, does this tournament look a little different?
1: I think it would look a, a whole lot different if we had all those guys that were healthy and, and able to go. Would you have yes.
0: started with eight men, or would you have used four? And if it's four, would would Triple H have been in this spot, and maybe Jericho not?
1: I don't. I don't know that we would have even been in the spot of unifying the championships at that point. You know, had there's so many ifs to that 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 one's hard to answer because the whole summer, the whole everything would have been different.
0: Well, so the idea being, you know, if we, if we have all those performers, maybe we can justify having two world titles, but with this sort of uh, shallow pool at the top, maybe we only can support one.
1: Yeah. And maybe we wouldn't have had the invasion be the way that it was. So there were a lot of, a lot of outside obstacles that would have made all of that look a whole lot different. Gotcha. Well,
0: let's get to the show. Uh, this is why we're here. The vengeance pay-per-view on the way here. I guess we should mention that, uh, the December 3rd raw, we saw Austin pin Chris with a stunner and a few days later on SmackDown rock and Austin would team up to beat Jericho and angle rock uses a sharpshooter on Jericho and that's your finish. Uh, and after the match angle would give Chris an angle slam. So everybody's piling on poor Chris Jericho, but don't cry for him. He's going to win the WCW world title, pinning the rock in 19 minutes and five seconds, huge win, biggest night of his career. It's a four-star match. Uh, Vince is going to be involved here. There's a distracted referee, lots of shenanigans. Uh, but Jericho hits a low blow and pins the rock with his own rock bottom finisher. How about that? There you go. R- right after that match, wouldn't you know it Jericho's going to win the WWF world title from Steve Austin and combine both melts, both belts. Easy for me to say in 12 minutes and 33 seconds, three and a quarter stars. Uh, again, some more interference, another ref bump, uh, Jericho doing a low blow. And uh, a mistimed stunner. Austin's going down late. Vince comes out with Nick Patrick, but before he can make the count, Flair comes out and decks Nick Patrick. And Vince punches Flair and posts him and takes him out. And then Austin uses a low blow and a Boston Crab. Of course, Jericho's tapping like crazy, but there's no referee to see it. Booker T runs out of the crowd, hits Austin with one of the belts. And while Vince throws Hebner in the ring to make the count, there's your finish three and a quarter stars and Meltzer would say that the, uh, finish live was flat. And I got to say of the two matches, I did think the rock match was better than the Austin match. what do you think of the creative with all these moving parts in the last match with Austin?
1: Uh, a lot of Gaga as Pat Patterson would say it was, it was a lot of Gaga, uh, to get where we wanted to go. And I think it was in the vein of trying to protect everybody and give a finish that nobody saw coming with Jericho winning because nobody called that. Uh, I don't think that anybody would have thought that, okay, this is the opportunity to put Chris Jericho over. And when we got there, I think the finish and everything about it the story was a shock to the audience because just, wasn't what, the, I don't think it was what anybody expected. So I thought it worked in that, in that regard. And we got to tell the story we wanted to tell and shocked people a little bit with Chris.
0: Was, uh, any pushback from, from Austin or rock about putting Chris over and the creative here?
1: Oh God, not at all. I think that it, everybody was on board and felt that it was the right thing to do for all the reasons that I just laid out.
0: So no pushback from creative. The boys, nobody. Everybody's on
1: board with this one. I th- yeah, and they felt that Chris pretty much was like, "All right, yeah, if you're going to do it, let's do it." Chris has. Told- I don't think the guys like Chris enough, and he had proven himself that it was it was a new face in that mix. I'm
0: always fascinated, you know, sort of hear how the boys find out about these big moments because even though. You know, I'm sure a lot of old jaded wrestlers are like, "Ah, oh, it's a fucking prop. It's just something heavy to carry around in your bag. All that shit." On some level, everybody dreamed about the moment they would be world champion for the first time, or the top guy in the business. Maybe you don't care about the belt or the prop. Okay, whatever. But everybody in every profession wants to be at the top of the mountain, and being you know, the world champion of the WWE means you are the top guy in the profession. I mean, that's just the way that has been for a very long, long time. And maybe there was no better sort of anointing of a guy than beating the two top stars at that point in the business. But years later, you might argue two of the top stars in the history of the business, rock and Austin on the same night. So you would think, you know, maybe somebody sits him down. Cause we've all heard about this and guys would say years later when it didn't happen. Oh, I was told I would be champion. And you would correct that and say, no, what Vince really said was I could see you as champion, not we're going to make you champion on such and such day. at so-and-so building. But Chris tells a story that he doesn't even know this is going to happen until the day of the show, he's at catering with the undertaker and Vince comes up and says, Hey, taker, you know how the business is going down the toilet because we're putting the belt on Jericho. And that's the way Jericho found out he was going to be champion. I mean, that's probably not how most people would imagine that goes down, but that's what makes wrestling so fun and interesting, isn't it?
1: Exactly. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure Chris ha- had somewhat of a heads up, but, uh, sometimes, yeah, guys don't know till they get there. Hey, congratulations. Bret Hart didn't know until he arrived at the building that day. the First time that he won the championship. So It just depends and timing and what have you.
0: Jericho says when he came back through the curtain that night, everyone was gone because when you're on last, everybody wants to leave, um, to beat the traffic. And, uh, he sat there by himself and then drove himself to the hotel and room service had stopped. So he ordered a pizza, but they wouldn't bring it to his room. So he had to go down to the lobby to get it. When he goes back up to the room to enjoy his pizza, he's locked out. He has to go back down to the lobby, but the guy wouldn't give him a key because he didn't have his ID, even though he had just seen him check in a few minutes earlier. So he finally drops the pizza on the floor out of frustration and the guy let him in, so he, uh, spent the night, his first night as undisputed champion, eating cold, fuzzy pizza at a Ramada Inn somewhere in Anaheim, California. So there you go. And the next line on raw, the show opens with Ric Flair in the ring with both titles, he calls Chris down, presents him with both world titles. And during the promo, uh, Rick tells Chris, he's going to defend the titles that night in a cage against Austin later in the show. Of course, Jericho would beat Austin in the cage match in 11 minutes. And they did their best carry Flair finish. Where uh Booker does the Terry Gordy part and slams the cage door on Austin. And a few days later on SmackDown, Rob Van Dam and Rock would team up to beat Jericho and Undertaker when R V D pinned Jericho after the Van Damminator And that essentially brings us to a close here. Uh it's Chris's first two full years in the company, and w- what a, a crowning achievement to win not one world title but both world titles from the two biggest stars. And as we know, we're on our way to march towards a WrestleMania main event. And Jericho's a made man after maybe a little rocky start.
1: Yeah, he was the first ever unified champion. And that was a huge deal. And I think that he deserved it. And it was something that got people talking. So Jericho from, you know, those first two years was able to step up, say, look at me, make everybody take notice. And, you know, shit again, deservedly. So let's, uh,
0: let you guys ask some questions. We took the social media to see if you had any Jericho questions. And if you'd like to ask some questions for our next shows, stay tuned to us on Twitter at Pritchard show. And, uh, we'll post a, a graphic and say, Hey, if you got a question for this show, reply here. Uh, let's do these rapid fire creating heat wants to know Jericho always seemed to have chemistry and put on great matches with the rock and Shawn Michaels. In your opinion, Bruce, who were Jericho's greatest opponents?
1: You know, going back, I I think that the stuff that Jericho did with, uh, Kurt angle from the onset was some really good shit because it was, it was just fresh and it was fun. But as far as big name opponents, the stuff that, chris was able to do with rock and steve solidified him as is that top top guy in the game and and solidified him as one of the top top guys right when he came in
0: steven Wilde wants to know are there any plans for y2j to main event the wrestlemania 2000 show in the fatal four-way the original poster seems to suggest so with y2j being in the spot that foley wound up taking
1: not that i remember no
0: uh, Chris has stated in the past, this is from, uh, Broncello. Chris has stated in the past about seeing the countdown to the millennium clock in the post office as his inspiration for his debut. What were some of the other creative ideas the WBF was throwing around prior to that suggestion?
1: The goon. You know, his dad was a hockey player, very famous hockey player.
0: I really, really hope that you guys were going to. So you know what we miscast Biller when we we think we you did.
1: have the chops. Jericho's the real deal.
0: Jericho's the real goon.
1: Yeah, don't start. Well, using- actually, no, but, but, but no. Bill Orwin actually was the real deal, but Jericho could just like Jericho could have been Doink. He could have been a hell of a goon too. Boy, I will tell you what,
0: the company, the business is in good hands with you at Creative because him as goon and him as Doink. Man, that's checking all the boxes for me, buddy.
1: Bro, you're printing money then. You are. Just
0: stack that paper. Straight cash, homie. I love you said stack that paper. I'm just going to go with it. Um, Wait, is that what you do? Did I say that wrong? No, no, you're you're doing it right. I taught Tony Schiavone the other day to say clap them cheeks. Are you in the loop on that?
1: Oh, God, no. I'll
0: tell you what that means off the air. Uh, Ace the hooligan writes, with Jericho being ever the savvy salesman, are there any funny memories or stories of Jericho trying to sell something whether that be a product or angle
1: Chris Jericho trying to sell himself. No, Uh, (laughs) you know, I, I don't know. Uh, not, not that I remember. I I tell you a funny Jericho story is from the podcast that Jericho listens to is when I, uh, said something about him having the world's shittiest looking sleeper. I got to fuck you, Bruce. Uh, (laughs) um, So that was nice.
0: Oh, you said on the show here that he had the world's shittiest sleeper and and he texted you just fuck you. Yeah.
1: He was working with rock and we were, we had done a watch along or something and he had just the world's laziest sleeper on the rock. And I said, Jesus Christ. I actually got a phone call on that one.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure we're both going to get texts in the next week or so. Uh, Morgan wants to know which of Jericho's personas do you believe was his best?
1: Well, I'm partial to his original debut. Just that little goddamn arrogant rock and roller, the Ayatollah rock and roller um, is another favorite. But I just like that arrogant little prick that he came in as.
0: The Brutal Pain wants to know Are there any funny rib stories involving Chris Jericho that maybe we haven't heard?
1: I don't rib and I don't want to be ribbed. That's Jericho's move? No, that's my move.
0: I know know that, but you do rib a little bit. I don't. A little, not a lot.
1: Never. I would never rib.
0: Well, I do. Did did Jericho have any ribs that he gave or received that you recall that were particularly funny?
1: Uh, The only thing I could think is people hiding his boots. I remember early on somebody like, you know, hit his boots wrestling boots. That's about it.
0: Who did uh, Jericho travel with?
1: Uh, either by himself or with the Canadians like edge, Christian Benoit, those guys.
0: Shock and Hawkin writes, where does Jericho rank in the all time Canadian wrestlers Bruce has worked with? And if he's top four, who else is in Bruce Pritchards, Mount Rushmore of Canadian only wrestlers? That's a good is question.
1: A- is there room for? Well, see, that's a trick question because one of my all-time favorites was is Don Jardine, who is is Canadian, but no one would ever know it because he was a spoiler and he came from parts unknown, which technically is Canada. Um, and you go through you go through people like Killer Kowalski and Edward Carpentier. That, that's a tough one.
0: No, you're I'm putting sure. Bret Hart on there. Come on,
1: I'll put Bret on there. Right, uh, of, a, of current of current wrestlers I would put Brett on there I would put Owen on there I would probably put Jericho on there um
0: I mean you know I know it's not popular but is Benoit you know the who, fourth spot who it's hard to memorialize Benoit but is he the fourth spot
1: well it is but you you're gonna laugh at what I was gonna say is is I would probably put somebody like a Trish Stratus up there. And here's why, because Trish was somebody that came in at a time in the business and made her way through, you know, that glass ceiling and through the threshold of what she perceived women's wrestling and what she wanted to do in the business. Um, and she's Canadian and she's obviously very proud of it. But I, I say Trish because, Trish broke a lot of, a lot of stereotypical molds.
0: Uh, I'm not going to laugh at that. I think you should put Trish on anything she wants to be on. Uh, Slobber wrestling writes: How do you think Jericho's career would have been different? Had he come to the WWF after the sale of WCW in 2001, as opposed to coming in on his own in 1999. Great question. Slobber wrestling.
1: Well, it depends on if he would have gotten some high dollar contract. Uh, I don't know that he would have come in, so he wouldn't have even been in the mix. So that there's a lot of what ifs there, but I think Jericho definitely would have been one of those that would have risen to the occasion like Booker T did.
0: Uh, Luis, Luis Laswald writes, when Chris Jericho came in, it's been pretty common knowledge that he was unhappy for a few months whether it was feeling like his promo led to nothing with The Rock or maybe being paired with Fink, having to wrestle and put over China, and then do lots of jobs on pay-per-view. At any point, did he ever come to you and ask, Bruce, how big's Batista's dick? Big T 9410 writes, Y2J became undisputed champion, and so did every other prominent WWE character. Uh Triple H, Hulk Hogan, Undertaker Rock, except Austin. Uh why didn't Austin have it? Please don't say he didn't need it. If he didn't need it, neither did the others mentioned. Interesting note, I guess, here that after the belts were combined, that really was it. No more, no more belt for Steve Austin. Yeah, he didn't need it. <laughs> I knew you were gonna <laughs> say that. I knew you were gonna say that. All right, we'll finish with a uh, with a fun one here. David Meyer Photo wants to know, uh, can you do Break the Walls Down as if Jim Cornette was singing it or perhaps arguing with a builder?
2: Break the walls down, motherfucker.
1: That's about all I got.
0: Well, that's all you need. And boys and girls, we have got a uh, a heck of a month planned for you here on the show. I'm so excited that we're going to get to cover all the different summer slams. Uh, stay tuned for the rest of the month. It's going to be a summer slam specific finish. Uh, and and I'm probably most excited about 1989. Uh, that's going to be coming to you at the very end of the month, but on the way, we've got a lot of, dude, that was good stuff. Wasn't it? Okay. Oh my gosh. Are, Are you really going to shit on that one now ahead of time and just hurt all my feelings?
2: How many you got?
0: Well, not many, but next week we're going to cover them all. SummerSlam 2004. That's what's coming up next. And this should be an interesting show. Of course, that one went down in Toronto, Canada, which is always a hot crowd. The main event, of course, is Randy Orton and Chris Benoit. We're going to have the youngest world champion ever at the conclusion of that. But underneath it's JBL and the undertaker. How about this one? Triple H and Eugene. Uh, Kurt Angle and Eddie Guerrero, Edge, Batista, and Chris Jericho in a triple threat for the Intercontinental, John Cena and Booker T in a best-of-five series for the U.S. title, a Till Death Do Us Part match with Kane and Matt Hardy, and then a six-man tag team match, the Dudley Boys, which is Bubba Ray, Devon, and Spike, uh, getting a uh, a match with Billy Kidman, Paul London, and Rey Mysterio. So lots of interesting talent in that match. What are you looking forward to talking about? SummerSlam 2004,
1: probably the the just emergence and again one of those aha moments with John Cena.
0: Well, stay tuned. That's what we're doing next week right here uh, on the near. I can't believe this is real. That was 15 years ago. Next Thursday, so one day after the 15 year 15 year anniversary, SummerSlam 2004. And of course, you know, the week after that, we're finally going to cover SummerSlam 1999. And, uh, we've talked about this one a lot, but we've never actually covered the actual show where Jesse Ventura, uh, was the special guest referee. There's an interesting moment in that match, uh, with triple H stone cold and mankind. I'm sure we'll get to the famous kiss my ass match with the rock and Billy Gunn, uh, a Greenwich street fight with test and Shane McMahon, uh, a lion's den weapons match with shamrock and Steve Blackman. What a crazy time we've got coming up here as we finish out the month of August. But I guess I need to start preparing now for our show at the very end of the month because uh, come the 30th, we're going to cover SummerSlam 89, which was, I think my first Zeus. I think this is my first live pay-per-view. Like the first one I got to like order at the house. And this was a big deal for me with Your buddy, Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake and Hulk Hogan on one side, Randy Savage and Zeus
1: on the other. That's good shit, man. Why would not you shit on that? I have to pee right now. I got to go. Hold on.
0: (laughs) I'm leaving that in.
1: He's going to be so mad. I left that in, but that was
0: so funny. The way he scurried away and yelled, oh shit. Getting old sucks. Follow us on Twitter. I'm leaving all this in. I'm at Hey, Hey, it's Connor. And he is at Bruce Pritchard. Our show is at Pritchard show. And when we get back, we'll pretend like we're going straight to the close and I'll have him say, it's about that time. And then I'll do the finish. And then he'll yell all shocker calling. And he won't know. It'll be sorry. great.
1: I'm so sorry. I, I about peed my pants. So stay tuned next week for
2: more
0: <laughs> something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Ah, uh, Shaka Khan. No, pee boy. I love it. Oh.
1: John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together,